welcome to the 139th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on July 10th, 2019. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show with me. As always, Corey Motley, podcast producer and my lovely co-host. Uh, how are you doing, Corey? Well, Brad, today has been perhaps the biggest comedy of errors I've ever had, but that is all explained in the banter, and I can tell you that after our hour of banter chat, I am feeling much better than I was about an hour and a half ago, so I'm doing a lot better now. Thank you. I am very glad to hear it, and folks, if you don't stick around for the banter, usually you may want to this time because... Corey has a real <laughs> rip-roaring, crazy tale of survival in the banter. It's kind of insane. So maybe you don't always listen to it. Listen today. And if you do listen to it, you will be in for a hoot. Also, um, spoiler alert, we talk about Spider-Man Far From Home and banter. Were you going to say this or did I just steal your thunder? No, no. Thank you for saying it. I, I, I was not going to say that. So yeah, we do talk about Spider-Man Far From Home and we do spoil the shit out of it. But we saved it for <laughs> last. It's the absolute last thing in the banter so you can listen to almost all the banter we do have an actual spoiler warning up so we will let you know before we spoil anything and uh heads up that is there thank you for bringing that up Corey. i was not gonna bring that up so you're glad welcome you mentioned that um so i think that's it i don't have any housekeeping today do you have any housekeeping Corey? i have zero housekeeping and we are on we are on the clock today y'all we got like an hour and 15 minutes to record so let's jump into it yeah that's exactly right. We are under a little bit of a time crunch today because of reasons, uh, just reasons, I guess. <laughs> so we got about less time than we usually do. So it might be a little bit of a tighter show. Apologies if you feel like we're a little bit rushed, but it's either that or we don't record at all. So we're going to, of course, go for the show that we can get on in the can. So let's just, uh, no further ado, let's just get to it. Corey, today you are bringing for uh, your first segment, Spider-Man VR and Gun Club VR? <laughs> uh, are these the same thing? Are they together? Because that seems like, I don't remember Spider-Man having guns, although it is kind of interesting. Tell us about this. <laughs> I wish they were the same thing. Um, yeah, I haven't, uh, it's been a little while since I brought VR to the show, but I've been having a little bit of a hankering to get back into it lately, and I'll tell you exactly why. Whenever I talked about Days Gone a few weeks ago on the show, which is the open-world zombie game from the people that make Siphon Filter, um, that game reminded me an awful lot of Arizona Sunshine, which was the VR zombie shooter that I talked about like months ago. And like playing that game made me want to play Arizona Sunshine. So I moved all the shit out of the way in the spare bedroom and hooked up the VR the other night and played um, played a few games just to sample because I hadn't played it in a while. Um, and so that kind of got me back into the VR situation. But the first game I want to talk about here is... Um, Every time, and by every time, I mean for Spider-Man Homecoming and for Spider-Man Far From Home, I don't know who does them, but somebody uh, develops a very short, um, sort of like Spider-Man-based VR game to go along with the movie. And the games don't have really anything to do with the movies, but they are, as far as I know, they are voiced by Tom Holland, so he actually voice acts in them. Oh, really? And, okay, cool. Yeah, and they're, I played the Homecoming one a while back, but I never talked about it on the show. Um, but they're very short. It's like Spider-Man The Homecoming Experience and Spider-Man The Far From Home Experience or whatever. Um, they're like, they only take like 15 or 20 minutes to play. So it's just these really cute little VR games to play. And the homecoming one was really easy. It was just like the controllers were your web shooters. They did like a target practice web shooter thing. And then I think there was like a green goblin fight and you were on top of like 
one of those giant like building like crane things so you're like way high up in the air and you're like shooting your webs at green goblin or something and it was pretty neat but they're just really cute um albeit well-developed uh little games and i played the far from home experience the other night and this one is pretty i mean it's about the same length it's just like one little story mission so and they're free too i want to make that clear they're free you don't have to pay so you know you might think oh well 15 minutes that seems like a ripoff but they're free so you don't have to pay for them um i played it on the oculus or i'm sorry on the htc vive um with my on my gaming pc and the far from home experience the story mission um this one is a little more filled out and it's got a little bit more going on than the homecoming experience because in this one, um, whenever I say the sex sentence, I bet half the audience is going to cheer and half the audience is going to throw up in their mouths. And this one, you actually web swing around the city in VR, which is like really scary <laughs> like being in <laughs> VR and being on like rooftops because at the very end, you have like a tiny training segment at the beginning and then, like, the first thing you do in the story mission, you're standing on a rooftop, you're really high up in New York City, you press the grip button to run, and you literally, it's like Mirror's Edge, you run to the edge of the building, and you just jump off the building in VR, which is incredibly scary, but the game does have some uh, some features that make it a little less, like, kind of throw up before you. They have a thing where it vignettes the screen to whenever you're web swinging and whenever you're flying in the air and jumping, it kind of like gives you really intense tunnel vision. So your like spatial awareness and your peripheral vision isn't as fucked up or, and you can dial that. Uh, I think there's like three levels of dialing it up or you can turn it off completely. And I turn it on the first time just cause I was like nervous that I was going to jump off the building and then like fall down in the bedroom and hit my head on something, which I did not. I want everybody to know. Um, but it's a cute little experience where you like swing through the city a little bit and then um, Spider-Man's friend, Ned, I think his name is, he's like the kind of, I don't know if he's Hawaiian or if he's like Latino, his friend from the movies um, is kind of calling him on his phone and he's like, hey, there's a, a monster attacking this part of the city and you swing up to it and it's just kind of like this, it looks kind of like a transformer, it's like this big like robot monster and he's using um, like... Uh, road like concrete is like armor and you have to like shoot your webs at his armor and like pull the armor off all of his limbs and off of his body and he's got these attack drones and it's cool because in the first spider-man experience for homecoming it was just stationary like you were standing in one spot and shooting things you were standing in one spot and shooting things but in this one you're actually like you're you're either swinging around on buildings you're jumping you're running you can run in any direction you can it sounds so basic like oh how innovative you can run in any direction but for <laughs> vr games this is like kind of a big deal especially for like a free you know kind of little little mini thing here because it would have been so easy to make this more of like a wave shooter like the first one but it's super cool because you're like swinging around the city and after you beat the mission there's like an open world mode where you don't have to do anything. You just like swing around wherever you want. And there's like a time trial you can go and access and do. And there's like a little combat challenge you can go and access to do. And the time trial is bananas because you're like, you're using the controllers as if you're actually swinging around the city. So you're looking up at the buildings and you like look up and you put, you put your right hand up and you press like the thumb pad. It shoots a web out and then it attaches to the building and you like swing from it. And it kind of like pulls you into the building a little bit and then you can let go and you can use your left arm to attach to a different building so you're kind of like slingshotting back between these buildings and it is a little bit kind of scary at first because you're like strapped into vr but it's really easy to get the hang of but when i was doing the time trial missions um you have to be a lot more quick with those obviously because it's time trial missions so you have to do the thing where you like 
shoot both webs at two buildings at the same time, then pull the controllers toward you to like blast yourself forward. And there was one part where I was like continually like blasting myself through all these skyscrapers and trying to get through as quickly as I could. And I accidentally went a little bit too high and I went above one of the time trial markers because they're these big, like they're pretty giant, like several story windows you have, you can like jump through. And I accidentally went above it. So as I'm swinging forward, I had to physically look back over my shoulder and web, web shoot to a building that was behind me. And then it started pulling me toward that building. And then I looked forward and like I almost fell down in the bedroom because it was so like changing direction and like looking a different direction while you're going a different direction. And like no matter what you tell yourself about VR, like I'm pretty like adept at VR stuff at this point. It still was enough for me to almost fall down like right where I was standing in the bedroom because you feel like you're up above the skyscrapers in New York and then you're looking these different directions and it's so easy to, you know, kind of get freaked out a little bit because it's hard to detach reality from that. Um, so I almost fell down. It was a little bit scary, but I had a good laugh about it and then continued to swing through the buildings. Um, but yeah, if you have any kind of, uh, I think this is available for PC. I don't think it's on PS4 that I know of. Um, but I would recommend this. It's really, it's free. It's only like 15 minutes. It's really fun. Um, if you're not afraid of jumping off buildings in VR, which I totally understand if you are, um, it's just like a cute little Spider-Man experience. And this one is a lot more um, intense and it has a lot more going on than the homecoming one. So this definitely gets a thumbs up for me. Sounds good. Uh, I guess, are you going to post any links to videos that show you stumbling around <laughs> the bedroom? <laughs> Absolutely not. I would never do that to myself. I mean, the thought of seeing someone pretend to sling webs in, with a VR helmet on <laughs> sounds fucking amazing. I want to tell Patrick that he needs to film you. And if, if you're not going to post it, just send me a video or something. I need, I need to see this. This sounds, this sounds good. I will, uh, I'll consider this just for you, but we'll see. Okay, good. Okay, so that's a thumbs up for Spider-Man VR. Now, what about the Spider-Man's Gun Club VR? Tell us about that. <laughs> I wish this were Spider-Man's Gun Club. Um, this game, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on Gun Club. I just want to say that, um, so Gun Club VR is a, as you maybe would suggest from the title, um, it's basically kind of like a sh different shooting galleries, very arcadey um, VR experience where you're shooting like, you know, actual guns and stuff. But the best way that I can describe Gun Club VR is like, if you think back to whenever like the first Need for Speed Underground came out, and maybe this applies to other Need for Speed Undergrounds as well. I was a huge Need for Speed Underground fan. Um, I think about how a lot of that game for me was more about buying the car and making the car look cool and painting the car and putting mods on the car. And then like the racing of course was intense and fun and sometimes frustrating, but like I got a lot of pleasure in that game through like detailing the car. Well, Gun Club VR is like that, but you're detailing the gun and then you're just kind of testing it in these different um, sort of like shooting gallery scenarios. And to its credit, it has a lot of different sort of shooting gallery things. Like there's like a zombie mode where they are still like paper targets, but they're shaped like zombies and they kind of sway and come toward you. Um, so it's not just you at like a shooting range and the target pops up and pops down. Like it's actually kind of like a warehouse type thing. Um, almost sort of like maybe like a Rainbow Six type like training scenario, like a kill house or something. They have like a zombie mode. They have regular, 
you know, modes where it's like the terrorist one will pop up and sometimes like the innocent person one will pop up and you have to like know which one you're shooting, but you have to look a bunch of different directions. Um, they have like a World War II one, I think, where it's like, you know, you're, you're like, I don't know, somewhere in Europe and it's just kind of has the setting of like a world war and it's very like old school and I think you have to shoot like soldiers and stuff. That one's not as interesting to me, but it's still there if you want it. But like the meat and potatoes somewhat of this game is like detailing the guns and like earning the money because you get money from completing the uh, like the target scenarios, the challenges, and then you can go and buy the guns. And there's like, you know, a bunch of different guns. There's pistols, there's shotguns, there's submachine guns, there's sniper rifles, there's assault rifles. And like every gun has like, you know, you can put like so many different kinds of mods on it. Like you can put... Ex they are real. I mean, I think, I don't know if they're branded, but like the Glocks in the game are called like G17 and G16 and that's like a real Glock model. So I don't know if it's like they have like the licensing rights, but they look just like real guns. Like, does that okay, answer your question? Okay. Um, so maybe they don't have the license, but they're modeled after real world firearms. Yeah. Are these? Yeah, you're are not... These, are, what? Go, sorry. Go. No, sorry. Sorry. sorry go, go. Oh, I was just going to say you're not shooting like dildo cannons or anything. Like it's nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> DLC is coming. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. I was going to say, so are these mods real mods or are these fantasy mods? Or like, what do you mean by mods? Or like, like, tell me a bit more about that. Um, I mean, they're like real mods that you could get. Like everything in this game is stuff that could exist in the real world is maybe a good way to put it. Like they, you had, there's a bunch of different like rail slides you can buy, which you can put like a laser sight on or a flashlight on, or you can get like extended mags and like some of them are ridiculous like they have like you know the double drum mag for a pistol and like would you really ever actually put that on a pistol like probably not but like they have those so some of it is a little bit outlandish but none of it is um is like really fictional and you know you can <clears throat> they also have like a spray paint can and you can like hold your gun in one hand with one vr controller and hold the spray paint with the other one and you like select the spray paint color you want and you literally just like spray paint the gun like right in front of yourself so you can like make it like hot pink or turquoise or black or white or you can reset the color to its standard color you could put silence they have like five different kinds of silencers they have all these stocks like it's basically just like super duper gun porn and the and in the challenges whenever you're actually shooting the guns like the stuff that you put on actually makes a difference like i like to put extended clips on mine because it gives me um, you know, obviously I could shoot more rounds before I have to reload because when you reload, you have to press a button to eject the clip. You have to grab a clip from your waist with your other hand and actually like load it into the gun. And then you have to charge the gun or like cock it from the top. And you even have to cock the gun before you start the challenge. Like once the three, two, one green goes off, you have to like cock the gun and then get ready. Um, so it's just like super dude, like in the same way that need for speed is like car porn, as far as like real car models and like real detailing and real body kits and stuff. It's very much like that, but for guns, which probably makes me sound like a terrorist or like a white supremacist or something, but I promise I'm not. I'm just doing VR because it's a lot of fun, but it's like, gives me the same sort of like satisfaction of like, I'm going to paint this car hot pink and put a body kit on it and then take it to the streets and see what it feels like. It's like the same thing where it's like, I'm going to buy this new gun and put an extended mag on it and a laser sight and maybe this like red dot sight on the top. And then I'm going to take it to these challenges and see what it's like. Like it gives me that same sense of satisfaction and i mean really it's kind of a cheesy game but like the amount of detail that i don't know who developed it but that they went through to develop this and make it very true to life and to try to get all the mods correct and get like stuff that people would actually have um on their guns in like real life is just pretty 
I don't know, it's pretty incredible and pretty accurate. And I mean, yeah, it's just like a gun gallery, like shooting gallery type game, but it's certainly like, it has the depth of like um, the, the guns and the attachments and everything. So it's oddly, I don't know, satisfying in a really kind of silly way. Interesting, interesting. Sorry, excuse me, my phone went off there. Yeah, <laughs> pardon me, folks. I forgive you. Um, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't have a lot to add about this. I mean, I guess my only question is, do you? F- I mean, you you know way more about guns than I do uh, in That's real true. life, and so do you feel that like it's a pretty good sim of uh, like gun? Like, do you feel like changing these things up? Does it? accurately reflect how that thing would work like do you feel like they're using like you know quote unquote like real gun physics or is it just for the purposes of the game do you think i mean i think they're using real gun physics but at the same time i also think no amount of even in vr no amount of like shooting guns in vr can like really i mean it can like show you the steps of how to like load a clip and how to cock it and everything but like no amount of that will ever like accurately reflect what it's like to shoot a real gun but it's like pretty damn close because obviously you're gonna have like kickback in real life and you're gonna have gunpowder residue and like the smell of the guns going off and like the smoke and everything which is kind of like a and you would have like eye protection and ear protection and you know like the whole nine yards um and you'd have to reload every bullet into the clip and stuff like that which you don't really get in video games but, I mean, it's pretty accurate, and there's a lot of games out there that are accurate, but at the same time, no amount of playing games can, like, super reflect, like, um, you know, like, the the act of shooting a real gun. But it's, I mean, it's pretty up there. Like, it's pretty close. All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, I don't know that this is going to necessarily appeal to everybody, but, I mean, it sounds like a pretty good recommendation for people who are into gun porn or who want to you know, get maybe like a, a shooting gallery type of game that's maybe more on the realistic side. Does that sound pretty fair? I definitely think that sounds fair. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I'm not dabbling in VR at all these days, so I don't really have any good follow-ups to the things you brought up, but I'm glad that you discussed them, and hopefully people out there looking for some quality VR titles will uh, will check them out. Uh, ready to move on, sir? Yes, let's do it. All right. Um we're kind of scrambling today, so I wanted to—I didn't want to bring out anything that was going to be too time-intensive. So I just have a couple of really quick follow-ups that um, I can rattle off, and then we can get on with the rest of the show here. Um, first up, just a quick follow-up to Witcher Tales. Um, I know I talked about this a couple times before, uh, but I have still been playing it, and I wanted just to let people know, still awesome, still super good. It's actually way longer than I thought it was going to be. Uh, like, like three times longer than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Uh, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, the writing is in really strong characterization, really strong voice work is amazing. Um, I love this game. Like it is a great fucking game. Like I know that CD project red is going through some PR troubles right now. I know there's a lot of people watching them pretty closely for cyberpunk 2077, making sure that they don't go off the rails in terms of characterization of women or of trans characters and other issues and race character, you know, race, race issues as well. Um, but this game perfectly shows why they are so successful. They knocked it out of the park with this one. Great writing, great characters, great voices, great gameplay. I mean, everything about it is just like fabulous. So just a quick follow up. Haven't finished it yet. I'm in the tail end. I'm in the final, uh, home stretch and I kind of put it on pause to take care of some other review games, but man, what a great fucking game. I wish I had played it last year because it 100% for sure would have been in my top 10. Absolutely. Would have been a lock. Um, so I may bring it up uh, at the end of this year as, as one that we missed from last year. But boy, what a great game. If you want more Witcher or you like Gwent 
or you just want to go back to that world. Fabulous, fabulous game. Love it, love it. So good. Are you are you sure you're in the final stretch of the game? <laughs> I looked it up because I needed to know, and I am in the final stretch, yeah. Because I was like, I kept building up towards this. Okay, I'm going to be done now, right? No, shit. Oh, shit. There's like, a whole, oh, oh, okay. But now, surely I've got, oh, no, there's more. Oh, okay. But it's been good. Like, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I haven't been enjoying it. I've been loving every minute of it. And even though it's like three times longer than I thought it was going to be, still quality entertainment. Still loving it. Very, very good. Um, another quick follow-up on Slay the Spire, which I talked about a couple episodes ago. This was the 2D deck-building game that I saw a while ago at a game jam. looked like shit, and then it totally turned out to be a great game once they had <laughs> polished it up. Um, I beat the game three times. There's three characters. You have to beat the game uh, once with each character, and then that unlocks the final leg where you can actually beat the final last boss. Um, so I beat the game with the three characters, which in itself was pretty challenging. But I got that done, and then I went on to fight the last boss, and I'm just like, I don't even know how I can even ever do that in the history of ever playing games. Like, it just feels like such an impossible ask, and it feels so difficult. Um, I've gotten... Like, just getting to the boss is a big challenge, and then once you get to the boss, you've got to fight him, and it's like a two-phase fight, and there's no way to, like, um, replenish your life, and... It's, it's a really, 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 really difficult fight. And on top of that is the randomness because this is a deck builder and it's also kind of like a roguelike. And so in order to beat the boss, you have to have just the right cards in just the right proportion and you have to have just the right, you know, thing going on in your deck. And it's like, I can see in my head like how it's supposed to be, but you cannot just make it happen. Like, it's like you got to draw the cards. If the cards don't come up, then you're screwed. Or if you... You know, if, if RN Jesus doesn't, you know, bless you that run, then you just don't get a good chance. And I just feel like they've really left too much in the hands of random generation to really be satisfying. Because um, like I said, beating the first, beating it with just the regular guys was already very challenging. And I just, I mean, I'm still trying every once in a while. I'll fire it up and I'll take a stab at it. And sometimes I'll get close and sometimes not. But I got to say, like, I feel like it's kind of crushed my spirit a little bit. I don't think that I have a consistent method or or that I can actually legitimately say that I probably could ever beat this game just by sticking in there and, and hanging tough. I think it just really depends on luck. And I don't like playing games where it's just luck. Like, I just, I just don't want to waste 45 minutes uh, on a run and then come to find out I didn't get the right cards and so I can't beat the boss because I have no chance. It's just really discouraging because I really like this game a lot. I still recommend it. I think it's a really great game for Switch, but... I just think these guys have fallen into the trap of just, you know, getting too high on their own supply and they just didn't really scale it back to where it's beatable for like the average person. I don't want to have to play this game like six hours a day for six months to get good enough at it or to <laughs> or to just take enough to just to take enough raw attempts to like one of them, you know, like like play this game a thousand times. And one of these times it'll be lucky. Um, so I just I'm, I'm really unhappy with that. So a good game. But I, I wish they had uh, made it easier to finish. Um, very, very sad that I don't think I'll ever roll credits on that one. Does this does this game want... To, maybe you said this and I missed it, but does this game aim to be like a games-of-service game? Or is it just like not... Well, is it not like efficient enough like and well-developed enough to be completed like in a way that you want to complete it? Um, no, it's not games and service at all. There's no DLC. There's no there's no microtransactions. You just buy the game once. That's all there is. Um, so it's not like they're trying to goose more money out of you. There's no 
there's no such thing as pay to win in this game. Like it's it's strictly about just get lucky and know the cards well enough that you can make an educated guess about what you can get, and then also just hopefully the right things will come up. And I just I just think they scaled it too hard. I just think they scaled it too hard. I think they spent many years in this game. I think they have a pretty dedicated community, and I think it's one of those indie games where they just don't remember what it's like to not be a pro at this game by playing it every fucking day. So I put, a, I mean, I probably put like 50 hours into this game, which is not an insignificant investment. And by the end of 50 hours, I should feel like I have a very, very good grasp on the game and that I have a pretty good chance of being able to beat it. And although I understand the game perfectly well, there's just, there's just no accounting for luck. Like it's just random about what cards you get and about how lucky you are. So I think they put too much. I think they just want you to keep hacking away at it. And I mean, I've talked to people who beat it. And in fact, uh, Mike Susky, who writes at Game Critics, he and I were playing the game at the same time and we were kind of comparing notes and we were both like, oh, my God, this is fucking nuts. Uh, this is impossible. <laughs> but he beat the he actually beat the last boss like uh, like before I did. And I was like, oh, my God, how did you do it? And when he sent me, you can actually take a picture of your deck and send people the cards that you have. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to see what was in your deck so I can get a good idea. I mean, he had like basically like the perfect deck, like things had just fallen his way so that he was able to like have like if I was to make my own deck out of just just putting it together myself, which you actually cannot do. I would have made a deck that was very similar to what he had. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, you got lucky because literally all the cards you need are there. And like half the time I can't even get those cards because they just don't come up for me. So I think he, not only was he good enough to play the game, but he got really, really, really lucky. And I think he will even admit that um, if you ask him. So I know how to play the game. I understand the game very well. I just am not having the same kind of luck that he's having. And in fact, I think I have pretty rotten luck. So I'm just not going to put any more time into it because it just feels profoundly unfair that you just have to wait to get a good run. And I just don't think that a good game should depend that much on luck. So even a roguelike shouldn't depend that much on luck. So anyway... Uh, that is Slay the Spire. And I have one more really quick, uh, not a follow-up, but just a quick mention. Uh, the embargo just dropped for a game called Soul Seraph. S-O-L-S-E-R-A-P-H. Soul Seraph. Um, it just came out today, and it comes from Ace Team, which are a team of developers from South America. I not. Sh- I want to say they're from Brazil. I could be totally wrong on that, but they're from South America somewhere. This is a game that looks exactly like ActRaiser. Do you know what ActRaiser is, Corey? I don't know what that is. ActRaiser is a very well-known classic game on the Super Nintendo uh, from back in the day where you play like an angel. And it was really well-known because it was uh, split into kind of two modes. You could start the game and you were like a 2D side-scrolling action character where you had little wings. You could glide a little bit. You could uh, attack monsters it was just like a 16-bit kind of action platformer which were pretty common for the day but the thing that made it stand out was after you beat a level of the action you would go to like a top-down god mode and it kind of went into kind of like i don't want to say a sim city mode but kind of like that where you were like looking down from heaven and you could um, help these villagers who like you know they would be like oh we're living in this swamp and there's all poison around us and we can't thrive here and so like you would help them clean up from like a sim city sort of perspective where you're like moving a cursor around you're like cleaning up water you're um i don't know like cleaning up land planting crops and you like can bring the weather for them like you know give them a nice sunny day to dry up the land and all this stuff and then once you finally got their town in good shape they'd be like oh you know we're doing much better we're doing much better but there's still like this monster that's bothering us and so you would go like go back into the 2d mode and then fight the boss monster kill the boss monster and then that village was saved and so like going back and forth between 
real-time action, arcade-style action, and, like, a SimCity God Mode thing. Pretty unheard of back at that time, and even still, you don't see it too often these days. It had a really, um, really huge following. It's one of my personal favorite games from the Super Nintendo. I thought it was just lovely, uh, and I you just don't see that formula very much. So I saw a trailer for Soul Seraph, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is literally Act Razor. Like, you're an angel, you've got wings, there's a 2D section, there's a God Mode, you're, fi- you're fixing the village. I'm like, this is 1,000% Act Razor, not an official sequel, but clearly inspired. I mean, it looks just like it. Like, it's just, it's, that is what it is. Like, it's obviously like this homage. Um, so I'm like, okay, I got to play some of this because I could totally play this again. Like, I love that game so much. I would, I would love more of that. So full disclosure, the publisher sent me a code. I'm supposed to do a full review on it. I don't think that I'm going to get to it oh, no. because this game is terrible. No. It is awful. <laughs> oh, it is no. bad. In a video, it looks just like ActRaiser, but when you're playing it, these guys have absolutely 100% whiffed on everything that made ActRaiser fun. They do not understand what made ActRaiser good. They know what it looks like, and they're able to make it look like that, but they do not get what was good about that game. It is so painful. They have missed the mark so far, so wide. Um, So... The 2D action segments are really crappy. Uh, Some of them are way too long. Some of them are way too short. There's not enough um, quality to the combat. Like, you're just kind of just slugging it out, and it's just not very satisfying. There's a lot of gotcha moments, too, like where monsters will jump in from the background or the foreground and try to get you by surprise. Uh, It's just just not fun to play. I mean, that thing might have... It might have flown back in the 16-bit days, and I realize they're doing, like, a 16-bit homage, but you don't need to have it play exactly like that. Like, you can add some modern sensibility, like make it more playable, make it more balanced, make it more fun, add some new features that, you know, reflect the time, but you can also, you know, uh, respect the inspiration. So the the 2D parts are not good. They're okay, but not good. The top-down God mode is fucking awful. Like it is so (laughs) bad. It is so bad. Uh, it's, It's like you have to build a town, but like there's, you can't just do whatever you want. Like each town has these, kind of restrictions on it and you have these preset housing types and so basically it just boils down to you doing the same thing every time and there's time limits which makes it fucking awful in the original act razor there was no time limits you could do whatever you wanted to do and like that was part of the fun was being able to you know get your adrenaline going in the side scrolling action and then take a break go back to like being in heaven and looking down and so you could just like take as much time as you wanted like really plan out how you want to help these people plan out your little city and just make it all good in this, in this particular game, Soul Seraph, it's more like an RTS than it is a SimCity. And so monsters come from these nearby areas and they try to like snuff out your village. And so they come in the same path every time and you have to like build defenses, but the clock is ticking down. And while you're trying to get these defenses set up, you also have to like propagate the land and like plant these houses and get villagers to live. And then you got to chop down some trees and you got to plant food for them. And it's like, Doing God mode stuff does not work with RTS, which is why every fucking RTS game in the world, in the history of RTS games, has some sort of a mechanic where you get resources automatically. Like, you may need to send out people to mine for those resources, but once you get those resources rolling in, they just roll in on a timer because they know you're very focused on taking care of what's going on in real time. It's too much to ask somebody to, like, set up defenses and then at the same time try to, like, cultivate the village and then 
if you fuck it up, you get reset. But like the reset isn't even clean. Like the timer steeps keeps going. Some of your progress is rolled back. Some of it's not rolled back. And it's just a fucking mess. And there's never a point at which you can really just sit back and say, I want to take my time with this village. I want to really like just enjoy this aspect of it. So it's a really, really shitty misdesigned RTS mode when you're top down. And the 2D side scrolling action is really poor. It's just not satisfying. I could not be more disappointed with this game. I just was like, oh my God, this is awful, awful, awful. There's a lot of people uh, who are old enough like me to remember um, ActRaiser. And we were kind of getting pretty excited that this was coming out because I think a lot of people have fond memories of it. And I've been telling as many people as possible, don't buy this game because <laughs> it looks, it seriously, like it looks like something that you have fond memories of and that's intentional. But when you play it, I guarantee it will not feel anywhere near as good as ActRaiser. So I would, instead, I would say, track down a ROM of ActRaiser or get one of those um, SNES classics or something. I'm pretty sure that ActRaiser is on that. Play that instead. That's a much better experience, much better game, even though it's like a million years old. Soul Seraph is a fucking disappointing, sad, it's just a piece of crap. It's really bad. <laughs> oh, no. And the, the people that design this ACE team, they have a track record of putting out miserable games. Like they, every game they have has been bad to one degree or another. I liked one of them they put out called Tower of Monsters. It was kind of like, okay. And I liked it because it was kind of weird and goofy, but it wasn't good. Like I would never recommend it to somebody. It was just like <laughs> me personally kind of liking it because I just swung that way. But like in general, they are a terrible developer. They put out many games where like every single game is like a good idea and they just don't know how to make their games fun. They don't know how to make their games playable. Failure after failure after failure. This is one more failure. Ace Team is terrible at making games. Their games are all really bad. So I'm very disappointed. Uh, I, I wanted this to be great. I was looking forward to it. I was very excited. And this game is just miserable. So anybody out there who wants more ActRaiser, do not buy Soul Seraph. It is bad, bad, bad. Yikes. Fucking yikes, Brad. I know, man. I just... <laughs> I wish I should have fucking done, like, a reaction video or something. Because, like, I was all smiley and happy, like downloaded the code it downloaded it's all excited i'm like ooh, got a cup of coffee gotta sit down i'm gonna dive into this it's gonna be so great old times you know and my just like this the sadness creeping in on my face and like this <laughs> scowl as the negativity built up oh and i'm like God. oh this is terrible <laughs> oh it's awful so anyway uh, anyway that, that anyway. is such a bummer because it's one thing to play a game that you don't really know anything about or you're not really like super looking forward to and it being like kind of disappointing but it is a whole nother thing when you're like pumped as hell to play a game that you think you're gonna love and it ends up being a total disaster oh that is worse that is way worse and it's just <laughs> it's really awful because i just want to talk to these guys and be like how did you guys fuck this up like why did you how do you not understand what made the first game so good you clearly know it's a good game you clearly are aping it you clearly know elements of it but you just fundamentally don't understand what made ActRaiser so good it is so bizarre it is so bizarre so anyway Let's move on. Um, I've said all I have to say about that. Uh, okay, so, Corey, you, <laughs> you before the show, you're like, I have a secret game. And I'm like, oh, man. And you're like, you're not going to be interested. Or you're going to think it's boring, which made me even more interested. So, I guess, <laughs> set me up for some more disappointment. You have a secret game. I don't know what this is. It's not in the script. Please share with us now. What is this secret game you're going to be talking about? I have been, um, every once in a blue moon, I do this on the show where <clears throat> I play something that's like really out of left field and I don't want to tell you what it is and then I bring it to the show. And let me just say that when we say new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between, this falls firmly in the old stuff category. 
I was just looking through the Steam library the other day on my PC, looking for something to play. It was late. I didn't feel like doing anything but playing video games. And I don't even remember. I think Patrick must have like gotten this in a Humble Bundle, or maybe I bought it when it was cheap and forgot. And I saw it, and I had a moment where I thought, why haven't I played this game? I owe it to myself to go back and play this maybe PC classic that I never have before, similar to how I've treated the original Deus Ex time and time again. I've tried to play that like three times on PC and just cannot fully get into it. But this is another sort of PC classic that I love the games that it's, that it's inspired, but I've just never played the original. With those clues, do you want to take a guess at what I've been playing for the past few nights? I have literally no clue. I have no idea. <laughs> I have been playing none other than the 1999 release of System Shock 2. Oh, wow. Okay, wow. <laughs> I never saw that coming. Holy shit. Okay. Um, all right, okay. I've never played that game. It's one that I've been interested in, but I've never played it. And I got to be honest with you, I listened to uh gary and cole over at the duck feed network talk about it they talked about it on one of their podcasts and i immediately scratched it off of my two players <laughs> so tell us all about system shock 2 and i mean i guess is it like a, a a revamp version or is it just a patch version or like is it the original or like what are you doing and what how's it going what's it all about um as far as i know it is like it is the original but it's on pc and i think it's been it's not been modded like there's like a million mods out there obviously but i'm too much of a chicken shit to mod pc games because i'm always afraid i'm gonna copy a folder and paste it and then the game's just gonna blow up and my whole pc is gonna blow up and the whole city block i live on is gonna blow up so i don't i get really scared about modding games um but system shock 2 on pc as far as i know it is the original but it's been patched in ways where you know obviously it runs smoothly it's not like i mean i don't know how it ran back in the day in 1999 i don't know if it was shitty or if it was really well put together or whatever but i mean it looks old it feels old it's from the same era of like the original Deus Ex and the original Half-Life, it kind of falls under that like vanguard of old PC games that later, um, whether people know it or not, like really inspired games down the line. Once the better technology became available to, um, to make them. And for those that aren't aware, System Shock 2 was, was and still is a PC exclusive game. It was um, one of the designers and writers of it is Ken Levine, who later went on to do Bioshock and to do Bioshock uh, Infinite. And at the time when I played Bioshock, I remember a lot of people saying, this is a, like a spiritual successor to System Shock. I mean, it has one of the same fucking words in the title, after all. Um, you know, Shock is right there. And then whenever I played Prey, which I loved Prey, that was my like number two game of the year in 2017, I think is when it came out. Um, I had remember reading more than one person say like, well, Prey is like the closest thing we have to a modern system shock to kind of like a, a reboot or a revamp. And I was so I saw it on the Steam library and I was like, well, you know, here we go again. I owe it to myself to go back and kind of play this game. And so I booted it up, and I'm playing with mouse and keyboard controls. I don't know if it has controller support. I haven't tried, because one of my hang-ups with Deus Ex is that the controller support for it is really weird, and you have to download, like, this mod to do it, and it's not super great. Um, but as I get better with mouse and keyboard controls, I am pretty um, apt, maybe, with System Shock 2. I'm not great. Like, I'm not doing headshots left and right, but I'm not bad. And the premise of System Shock 2, although the story doesn't really set itself up, 
set itself up super well at the beginning of the game is you play as I believe it's like it's a first person game. Um, I don't think your character has a voice or they haven't talked yet. So it's similar to all the games I've talked about, obviously, because they all took inspiration from this where you're on like a space station. Um, it's first person. It's got a lot of RPG elements like it has several upgrade systems where you can put points into you know, hacking, into repairing weapons, into modifying weapons, into physical strength, into endurance, into speed. It's, you know, takes a lot of, um, it's weird because having played games like Bioshock and 2 and Infinite and Prey now, I played this and I'm like, wow, this reminds me so much of Prey, but then I have to go back and think, no, actually, Prey reminds me so much of System Shock because they did it first, like, you know, 20 years ago almost. So, um, you're on a space station, you have, um, you, at the beginning of the game, you select which sort of, like, faction you want to join, and this is where the comedy of errors first began with me in this game, because you go through a basic training area where they teach you how to use guns, they teach you how to use, um, technical abilities, like hacking, and then they teach you, you have, like, psionic abilities, which is, like, different, kind of, like, um, like a cryo energy blast and, like, a levitation sort of, like, uh, energy thing, you know, kind of similar to, like, uh, the mods and Bioshock and stuff. And then once you finish your training, they put you into a room and they're like, okay, now you get to choose. Do you want to go into the Navy? Do you want to go into the Marines? Or do you want to go into, I can't remember the last one. It's like o OPS or OS or something. And, but the game doesn't tell you which one each of those stands for. So I, unless they did and I just missed it, but I don't think they do. So like the first time I went into like the OPS or whatever it's called one, or it's OSA, I think, um, I went there, and it turns out that's, like, the psionic class for, like, the mind-building stuff. So I did that, and then I was like, well, this isn't really what I wanted to do because I didn't realize that's what I was getting myself into because it, like, fast-tracks you onto certain skill sets. And then you choose three different... It's kind of like whenever you start Fallout and you have, like, the storybook in front of you and you kind of get to, like, pick different things you want to specialize in. Um, very similar way where they send you off, you do a year tour... And for three years, three separate tours, which you don't play as, you just select the one you want to go on and it gives you certain skills. So once I discovered that that wasn't really what I, what I wanted to do, I started the game over again. And then I went the military route, which is like the shooting and the guns. And I was like, okay, I think this is what I want to do because I just kind of want to play this as a shooter. And then after I started that game and got about 15 or you know 30 minutes in or so, I, I looked up online like System Shock 2 character builds, like what is the best? And there were a bunch that were like, well, the Navy and the hacking is the best build, and then you can put some points in combat. So I started another game, oh and, I <laughs> <laughs> and I went, and I mean, when I say this, uh, the first time I played through it, it had only been like maybe like 45 minutes, and then the second time was like 20 minutes. So it's not like I wasted like, you know, dozens of hours on this, but I just, the game doesn't make it very clear what, what each faction means for your skills. Um, right, and and right. once you select the one, you can't back out of it. Like you go on the Marine craft and then you can't get, you don't get to go back. So I started my last game. I went into the Navy. So I'm, I have a, a lot of hacking skills, which people probably won't be surprised about that. Cause I'm a big Deus Ex fan, big hacking fan. Um, my hacking skill is higher. I think my strength and endurance are a little bit high and my like small weapons capabilities are a little bit high. And by high, I mean like medium, you know, high to begin with. And the game, it's a, uh, you know, first person exploration. Um, 
similar to Prey and Bioshock, as in you're kind of on the space station and there are these weird, like, mutated humanoid things that you have to fight, and the game gives you a... It's kind of like a big, like, wrench kind of early on, um, you know, not dissimilar to Half-Life and Bioshock. And I actually find that the wrench is very effective, but I'm also playing this on easy. There's four difficulty levels. Of course I chose easy because I'm not about to jump into a massive keyboard game on, like, hard or something. Um, and there's these weird... So there's these weird, like, humanoid monsters that are kind of coming after you and they're spread out so it's not like you know they're it's not like a big action game they're just kind of like around but if they see you you know they'll run up to you and they say really scary things and you have to you know i'm hitting them with my wrench and it only takes like two hits to kill them so that's really nice it's easy to hit them once they stumble and then you kind of back up wait for them to strike and then you move in and hit them again so luckily it's not very hard and that's the problem i generally have with these old pc games is that like deus ex was a little bit too hard for me because I'm a big stealth guy in Deus Ex and old school stealth is not easy. And Half-Life, I love, you know, a good first person shooter, but the original Half-Life for me on bad mouse and keyboard controls, um, I'm not very good at. But System Shock 2 actually hits a really nice middle ground of like, it's not that hard and it does the same thing that Bioshock did, or I should say Bioshock does the same thing that it did, where you have like the chambers where if you die, you just like revitalize in the chambers. So you don't have to checkpoint it doesn't like you don't lose you know 40 minutes of progress if you forgot to save you just keep like coming back after you die which is great um i'm glad that you know i sort of remembered that from bioshock while i'm playing this but i mean it just kind of has a lot of the trappings that you would expect from this kind of game like you can hack um doors rather than look for key cards or look for key codes there's like audio logs all over the place that have information about you know how to open doors or the security systems you can hack the security system so that the cameras don't see you if you have a high hacking skill um, there are guns but the ammo so far has been somewhat limited but the melee weapons work well so the melee has been working well um, the level design is a little iffy like it's taking me a little bit to get used to because it has that very like 90s corridor thing going on where I walk down eight different hallways and I think they're all the exact same hallways so it's a little bit hard to get around but there is a map and there is a mini map so that helps out a little bit um, but I on my third time through when I did the navy and the hacking I feel like I really am onto something here because the security system if the cameras see you the security goes off and then it kind of sends enemies your way whereas you can hack the security system and it keeps the system hacked and undetectable for like a minute or two and then that gives you time to go around and you can like, you know, wrench the camera and blow it up or something like that. And I mean, it's pretty good. Like, I'm actually really enjoying this. I'm pleasantly surprised. I mean, on one hand, it, it surprises me that I'm enjoying this because anytime I go back and try to play one of these like Vanguard horror games or not Vanguard horror games, Vanguard like PC games, um, this sort of like in the early days set the standard for games that I now love. Um, they just seem so dated and so, like, not technologically advanced that I generally just kind of can't get on board with them. Um, but, yeah, I'm just kind of surprised because System Shock 2, like, I once, you know, I got over the initial hiccup of, like, kind of figuring out my character build, which I think, you know, if you're somebody who doesn't know a lot about that, it's kind of an easy mistake to make. I remember the first time I played Fallout 3, I hated it. You know, I played it for a couple hours, absolutely hated it just because I didn't know what I was doing. And then a few years later, I went back and it's one of my favorite games of all time now, similar to System Shock 2, like kind of didn't know what I was doing at the beginning and the game doesn't do a very good job of spelling it out for you. But then once I read a couple like little blurbs online about how to build a good character and kind of some tips and tricks on how to get started, um, 
I'm really enjoying it. Like I've only I've only played it for maybe like two to three hours or so. Um, but I mean, this is like kind of a cult classic PC game. Uh, it's finally one that I actually feel like I can get on board with that I'm enjoying. It's got good exploration so far, despite you know the corridors looking kind of samey. Um, the voice acting is okay. Um, there's, I think it's got, you know, an overarching theme of like an AI that is, you know, trying to become all knowing. And I have a feeling it's going to do the exact same thing that Bioshock did where you're like trusting this voice that keeps telling you what to do for the entire game. And then it's going to like turn on you in the middle of the game. And so like, I'm pretty sure that's kind of like the point of this game, but it's supposed to be a, be a big reveal, but I'm pretty sure that's like a very known sort of like story twist at this point. Cause the game's like 20 years old. Um, but I like it. I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm glad I've been able to get on board with it. It is not too hard. Um, a little convoluted at first, but it's not unapproachable. And I'm getting a little bit better at mouse and keyboard controls. So I'm actually able to like get on board with it. And I'm <laughs> very happy about this, despite it being a 20-year-old game without, um, you know, without a you know a bunch of mods or like it's not a remake or it's not you know a, a you know, revitalization or anything. It's just like the old version, but it just performs really well. So, um, yeah, I'm happy with this. I'm glad on a whim, on a weird whim the other night that I started it. And I'm glad that I finally got my character build in a good spot where I feel like I know what I'm doing and I'm planning on continuing to play it. I'm very surprised and happy about this. Wow. I wasn't expecting you to like it. Um, cause when I listened to, Gary and Cole at the Duckfeed Network talk about it. I mean, they played the entire game and I listened to their entire playthrough. <laughs> um, it just sounded kind of hellish. Like, I, it just sounded really bad. And, I mean, I didn't play it. I don't have any personal experience with it. Um, so, I guess, let me know how it goes. Um, I'm curious to see how it develops over time. I think you were smart to play it on easy. I think that was a very good choice. And you were also really smart to look up a character build. Um guide because i mean i'm guessing that there was those were probably some pretty big pitfalls that you either would have fallen into and not realized it for hours or would have just you know it would have greatly colored your view of the game but it seems like you're having a pretty good time so far which is interesting so i don't have a lot of comments i'm gonna reserve comment because i do have some thoughts based on what i heard about it but i mean that's all secondhand information i don't want to color your view but um keep going keep going and let us know what you think um we should definitely circle back on this next week and let us know how it's progressing yeah i will i will continue to play this and i actually mean it that time when i say it um because i am enjoying this it definitely falls in line with all the games i've enjoyed since that it um, has inspired so i will keep playing it and i will come back to the show maybe once i've gotten pretty deep in or maybe once i finish it and we can kind of unpack it then Excellent, excellent. Yeah, okay, interesting, because I this is one, like I said, that I've always meant to play this, um, but never got around to it, and then I eventually just was like, I'm not going to do this because <laughs> this just sounds awful. But now you're kind of, uh, you've kind of got me interested again. But I, I will I will hold off. I'm not going to put it back on my two playlist yet. I want to see how you finish first, and then we'll discuss from there. But uh, Okay, good. Um, quick time check. We've got about 20 minutes left before we get wrapped, so I think we've got just enough time to bring this home. I'm going to talk about one more game here. Uh, Sea of Solitude uh, is an indie game put out by, I want to say they're German developers, and they got in EA's indie program. I don't know what their indie program is called. It's like EA Spotlight or something like that, where they take a game, 
Um, very similar to Unravel, which came out a couple years ago. They take an indie game and they just give it like a billion dollars to like <laughs> uh, make it look really nice and fancy and get all the bells and whistles, and they they push it pretty hard. So their their game this year, or at least one of their games this year, Sea of Solitude. It debuted their trailer at E3 this year. Was it E3 this year? Or was it last year? Regardless, um, their trailer made a big splash, and I don't say that as a pun um, to be, you know, but it, it, it got a lot of people really excited because it showcases a, a girl who is kind of like a furry monster girl, and she's in a boat, and she's in this ocean, and it's dark, and the seas are roiling, and there's this, like, really scary, like, shark-like monster underneath the sea, which kind of looks just like her, except for it's a monster, and so... The whole, I mean, there was like a lot to unpack in that trailer. People obviously knew it was going to be kind of like an emo sort of a journey and people were going to be talking about feelings and stuff. And <laughs> I, I love games like that when they come together. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that kind of stuff. So full disclosure, uh, EA sent me a code for review. I have written the review, but I have not posted it. It should go up later this afternoon. So folks, by the time you're listening to this, you can read my full review. It'll be up by then. Uh, so I have feelings on this game um (laughs) uh so like i said it's about a girl her name is Kay. she's a monster she's like kind of um she's like intensely black just like kind of like pitch black with like glowing red eyes and she's furry and she's got a backpack and you don't know why she looks that way and she's in a boat and she's on an ocean and there's like a town which is sunk beneath the waves you can only see like the rooftops poking through above the water but you can see like all these really like you know buildings and houses and shops and stuff underneath the water. It's very cool. Like I think the the graphics are really great. The water's great. Coloring is really great. She eventually gets to parts that are sunny and uh, that are not stormy, and those parts are really beautiful. Um, it's really warm. Like the oranges and reds and yellows come through really strongly, and it's a good stark contrast to her as like a like like a pitch black character. Um, so I think visually this game is really on point. Like it's a very striking visual. Any like anywhere you go, like if you spin the camera around and took a screenshot, that would be like, ooh, what a cool screenshot. You know, like <laughs> it's one of those games where it just looks effortlessly wonderful. I'm being before you go forward, I'm being reminded heavily of both Gris slash Gree and Bound in this discussion. Would you say that those all kind of fall under the same umbrella? Absolutely, yeah. Same same bucket of like, oh my god, this is like so beautiful, and yet still mm, problematic at the end of the day. <laughs> um, so it starts off okay, and I got okay. Like this is gonna sound like I don't want to sound like borderline racist or whatever, or maybe that's even not the right word. But like clearly, this team is from like another country, right? And so I suspect that members of the team, or possibly even the game director herself, handled the voice work of of the main character. Uh, that was a mistake because they speak perfect English, but like the accents are clearly from another country. And it's really weird to hear a non-native English speaker deliver these lines because the, just the emphasis is wrong and the, the intonation is wrong. And it's supposed to be like a really emotional thing. And like, I just don't feel the emotion. Uh, I think that voice work is really important in a small game like this, where it's all about how you're feeling and about mood and tone. And I just think that was just like a really catastrophically bad decision to go with someone uh, to do this voiceover. They should have gotten a native English speaker and then 
done that separately and then if they wanted to keep the german track absolutely do that get a get a professional german voice actor and do that and let players choose uh, because i just it was constantly taking me out of the experience because her voice sounded so strange um not just the accent but just like it didn't ever sound like she was feeling what the character was supposed to be feeling um and so that was really just like wrecking a lot of the emotion for me um and the other thing is this game is really paced weird so you start the game and as you're like rowing your boat you get to this town this giant monster shows up which looks just like you but she's got like other monstrous features and so you're like oh okay this is clearly like a self-examination i am clearly the monster i look like a monster this other monster looks like me okay i get what's going on and there's that shark monster i mentioned which is really scary if you're afraid of water because like seeing that big shark underneath the water all the time is really freaky like it's really <laughs> It scares me, man. Like, my stomach would clench, and there's parts where you have to, like, swim in the water, and the shark is coming for you, oh, and it's just yikes. fucking, oh, God. Like, my asshole was just like, oh, my God, in a knot, dude. I just like, could not relax. So, I mean, it's effective from that that aspect, but, like, when you far- you start to realize what the, what the, the story's about, at first you think it's going to be about Kay looking within, and that kind of makes sense for the first, like, half hour. But then it shifts to, like, her brother. And I'm like, oh, is this actually about her brother? Oh, that's not what I expected. But okay, that's fine. Her brother is, like, this giant monster as well. And so she starts talking to him about that. And I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but clearly the brother's got some issues. And I'm like, okay, well, the brother has issues. So this game is about Kay and how she responded to the brother's issues. I mean, not as powerful, but that's fine. You get through that part, and I'm like, okay, it feels like maybe we should be getting to the wrap-up. Nope. You, you then switch over to Kay's mom and dad who have a, a contentious marriage and now you're focusing on their marital problems. And I'm like, oh man, like <laughs> it just starts to feel kind of crazy that you're going, like every member of her family has like severe dysfunction and that you are, they're all monsters and she's talking to them about like how they're interacting with themselves and how Kay responds to them. And a lot of it is just like Kay kind of berating herself for like not, being there enough for them but it just it kind of just falls flat like it ends up it just, it just ends up kind of being like a lot of navel gazing without a lot of like weight or impact behind it and i i thought like the parents was like already too much like i thought that was t- distracting too much focus away from what should be a really tight and focused narrative but then at the very end like her boyfriend shows up and the boyfriend's got problems and i'm like oh my god uh, like, because of course he has problems of course he does and like it just ends up being a really like like too much too many people with too many problems Kay jumps around between all of them like too quickly and they all get kind of fixed at the end which is weird and it just ends up not really landing like i don't think that you ever get deep enough into any situation to really drive home like the emotional stakes i never really felt anything for Kay. um i mean she comes off as kind of a ninny a lot of the time because she's just making these weird choices and and hurting people and by the time you get to the end of it it just feels like k or maybe i mean i'm assuming like the director of this game and perhaps other members of her team are just really like going through their own personal therapy session and then turning that into a game for other people to participate in but it doesn't work because i am not that person i don't have those same experiences and the game does not dig in and show those experiences in a way where someone outside can really get into it um it just it just feels like this person is going through like all of these fucked up mistakes they made showing them off one by one 
And then at the end, it's like, oh, and then I guess I'm good now. I'm fixed and I'm fine. The game's over. And I just never bought it. I never felt it. I never was invested, um, which is a shame because the game is beautiful. Like every every visual is amazing. Um, good style, good art design. Um, the music I thought was nice. It, it's, it's like looking at a trailer, you would think this is totally like your jam and like something wonderful you should get into. But playing it, it just really feels very shallow it um it doesn't go where it needs to go and like it just feels too much like i wish they had focused on just k or maybe just k and her brother or just picked one of those things and just really dove a lot deeper into it um but they don't like it's a really kind of shallow treatment of everyone and you end up doing the same thing so many you do it like four times in a row it's just not new anymore like just doing one of those things would be fine and then you realize oh emotional resolution okay that's fine it's good i mean it just repetitive and shallow and doesn't go anywhere and the voices don't sell the experience and it's just strange to hear this person talking about all the fucked up mistakes they made it's like they're just listing it off to you you know like they're just like and i fucked up my brother and then i fucked up with my mom and dad and then i fucked up with my boyfriend and then now i got my shit together and now i'm good and then like roll credits and it's just <laughs> it's just it's weird and it just doesn't work for me and i just was really oh this kind of ugh, ugh, no so, again, um, I thought this was one that I was really going to get into, really looking forward to it, and I just, it's just not landing for me. Now, that's, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm reading reviews. I read some reviews after I wrote my review because I was really, really curious to see how people were going to respond to this. And it seems to be really hot or cold. There's some people who think this is really great, a wonderful examination of emotion and family. And then there are a lot of people who feel like I did, who feel like this totally didn't land at all, and this was a misfire. So it seems like a really hot or cold game. I'm definitely on the cold side. I could not be colder on this. Um, and I don't want to discount the fact that this is clearly a very personal work. I'm sure that the director of this game and their team felt a lot about not only, you know, not only just like the usual, like I invested a lot of myself in making this game, but like, obviously this seems like real world stuff. This seems like I wouldn't be surprised at all if every issue in the game was something taken from somebody's real life experience. And I don't want to discount that, but simply sharing that experience is not enough to make it a compelling experience for someone else. Like maybe something that means a lot to you as a person is very valuable and it, it made you grow and you had some scars or, you know, like it was a heavy weight on your heart. Like I get that, but that doesn't mean just because you feel that, that other people are going to feel that. And I, f I think that's the mistake this game makes is that by simply laying these things out, that's enough to get people to feel it and to sympathize and to be invested. And it's just not like you got to work from a game design perspective much harder to bring people aboard, to get them feeling what you're feeling, to get them to understand your perspective. And this game just doesn't go deep enough, doesn't go far enough. It's just really hey, here's some trauma I had. What do you think about that? Cool. Okay, thanks. Bye. And <laughs> it just, it really whiffed for me. I, I ended up um, just really not liking it very much at all. So that was a, a, another big disappointment. But uh, Sea of Solitude, there you go. It's out now. And my review will be up at Game Critics by the time you're listening to my words. Yeah, I think these, um, like I have no doubt that these sort of like artsy mental health games, if you will, like definitely have a place out there but, you know, when you were saying, like, the hot or cold thing, it's totally, like, you know, for the people who get it, get it, as in, I don't know, maybe can really resonate with these things because they've experienced those kind of things in their lives. Like, I feel like they will really get it and love it, perhaps. But then, like, the people like you or maybe, like, perhaps me that 
haven't they can't really relate to anything like this it just comes off as you know not like we just have really nothing to like latch on or relate to and like these kind of games i feel like it was like the cool thing you know maybe five years ago to put out these sort of like artsy games about like mental health awareness in a way and i feel like this genre is like i mean i wouldn't ever want to like dissuade developers from making games like these but i feel like this genre is getting played out because like I feel like people are having less to say and they're just making like an artsy game for artsy's sake. And then they're like, oh, by the way, there's like some mental health trauma in here. And I, I don't know, like, and it just like, it's so personal to the experience of the person who's playing it about whether it will really hit home or whether it won't. And whenever you're talking about this, I had a lot of the same thoughts about like whenever I played Rhyme, like I, for the most part, I didn't really like Rhyme that much, but at the end of it, like, it was fine, but it wasn't great. But then, like, at the end, when it finally kind of, like, comes together, I was like, oh, wow, that was really powerful. Um, but it was just too vague the whole way there, and I don't like the whole, like, vague, artsy stuff, you know, kind of masquerading as, like, this, I don't know, like, introspective view on, like, mental health issues or something. And I've also seen some people tweet, I don't know if it was about this game specifically, but I suspect it was, that it's incredibly problematic to have, like, these sort of, like, mental health-type games out there where they sort of, like, present issues as, like, mental health issues, and then they just, like, have the character, the protagonist, just, like, solve the problem and, you know, ride off into the sunset at the end of the game because that's, like, totally not how mental health works. Like, mental health issues are things that you live with every day of your life that you manage. They're not just something you magically get over and then you don't have them anymore. And a lot of games set them up as if, like, oh, your mental health issue is this monster that can be defeated and now you don't have it anymore and that's it. Bye. And, like, that's not how the world works. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um Yes, there, you just brought up a, a number of things that I kind of want to respond to. I mean, I think that your 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 terminology of like having it be an artsy or, or like an indie mental health game is totally right. I mean that that's what this feels like to me. Except it doesn't feel like it's meant for other people. It it feels like it's the director or this team talking about their own thing for the sake of talking about it. And I I feel like there's potential here to to turn this around. Like I think it's it's a good start, but they just kind of got lost along the way, and I don't think they understand the difference between talking about something and then involving a player in it. I mean, that's the different skill set. And I, I definitely agree that mental health is a bigger thing that doesn't get solved. So I think it is kind of disingenuous to kind of show it as, hey, I reached a resolution and now everything is fine. I mean, that's actually one of the reasons why I liked uh, Papo EO. Well, you remember we talked about that a while ago, like a, I don't know, a year, oh, a couple years ago. or It's a former while ago. <laughs> you, you know that game, right? Have, have we talked about this before? Yeah, I've never played it, but I do know it. That is a really excellent um, example of a, an indie mental health game done correctly because not only does it go to kind of dark places and talk about what this person went through, but, like, the end of that game is fucking, like, brutal and, like, it doesn't have a happy bow at the end and it really it really rang so true to me. And, like, that showing the reality of, like, what that situation ended up as being was, like, the greatest gift that, gift, that game could have given to anybody because it really showed in no uncertain terms, like... This is how I came to res resolution with my problem, and it is not a happy resolution, and it's not the resolution for everybody, but it didn't pull any punches, and I thought that's what made it really powerful. Sea of Solitude, I feel like, has a very happy bow at the end of it, and it just kind of wraps it all up, and it just... It just feels just really, really shallow. And along with that, like, you were talking about Rhyme being too vague. It's interesting you say that, because uh, one of the criticisms I've seen levied against uh, Sea of Solitude, and actually one of my own criticisms as well, although I haven't brought it up yet, is that it, there's no 
nuance to it. Like, there's no mystery. Like, Kay comes right out and is like, oh, I bet you're me, and I'm really mad because I did this thing to my brother. And it's like, okay, you literally just told me exactly what your problem was. There's no mystery about it. I mean, I could have figured that out, or you could have played this out a little bit longer to get me more curious about what's going on, and there could have been a big reveal, or, you know, making players um, just wait a little bit and have that suspense, suspense built up would have been really good. But instead, she's like, Hey, this, hey, your mom, you're my mom, giant squid. And hey, big chameleon monster, you're my dad. And you guys are fighting. And dad is really mad because he's like blowing flame. Oh my gosh, he's just angry. And I'm like, yeah, like I get that. Okay. Like it's, I, I understand like you're kind of going for a metaphor, but then you explain every aspect of the metaphor. <laughs> and so the metaphor loses its power because you literally just told me what's going on in a very uninteresting and straightforward way. So like there's nothing really happening. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Um, the stuff you do in this game, which I realize I haven't even talked about, you basically just travel from one place to another and hear people talk. It's That's all you really do. Is not very interesting. The voices killed it, and it's just so straightforward and just... Ugh. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't mean to be... You know, I don't want to be too negative on someone's personal journey, and I want to respect that and honor it, but at the same time, I have to look at it as a game that is presented to people for cash money. And from that respect, I feel like it's kind of... Uh, a disappointing failure so it's beautiful i love the way it looks but i think that in general it is kind of a quick cheapy take on the mental health genre and i don't think it really does itself or anyone else any favors so i walked away from it being pretty pretty disappointed well you can't win them all especially with a market that's becoming like it seems like more flooded by the week with these kinds of games yeah, true, true. Okay, well, um, we are actually out of time to record today, but we do have a special treat for you. Uh, we have a pre-recorded segment between myself and my wife, Gina. She's actually playing Dragon Quest Builders 2. She has been playing it for me because I didn't have time to play it, and she's doing me this solid also because she really liked the first one. So we have a very brief kind of... Uh, personal wife's eye view of Dragon Quest Builders, <laughs> so we are going to play that for you right now. All right, we are now to the pre-recorded segment, which is stuck in the time loop. Uh, we usually record our entire podcast from start to finish, but today we uh, have this bit, which is being created at a separate time than the bit you just listened to. So forgive us if it sounds a little bit weird, but right now I am being joined by my wife, Gina. Say hello to the people. Hey, people. All right, honey. So we brought you on the show because you have been kind enough to play Dragon Quest Builders 2 for us. Is that correct? That's right. So full disclosure, we were provided with a code from a publisher, so just putting that out there. Now, um, I had you play this because, number one, I was not interested in it, and number two, because you played the first one, correct? The original Dragon Quest Builders? I did. And what did you think of that one? I enjoyed it a lot. I, I had a good time with it. Did you finish it? I did. All right, cool. So you were willing to take this on, which I really appreciate because I totally did not want to play this. Uh, not, not, not that that's a knock against it or anything, just not my jam. Uh, so now that you have played it, like how far along into it are you? Have you finished it yet? No, I haven't finished it yet. I'm guessing I'm getting close to the ending, but not done yet. All right, cool. So what is like the gist about it? I mean, I know obviously Dragon Quest Builders, you're building stuff. I think probably most people listening to this podcast will, will know what it's about. But in terms of story, like what's what's the gist of it? Does it matter? Um, Not really. I mean... The real hook for this game is that you get to build these things. Generally speaking, the idea is builders are bad. 
they are the ones who are destroying the world, and really the people destroying the world are the good guys. At least that's the story that's told. So you are a builder, and so you want to create things again and convince people that builders are not bad. Okay, so like as you start the game, I seem to recall this from the first one, like the world was kind of like in ruins or something, and the bad guy wants nobody to build anything because bad guys love to live in ruined worlds because reasons. Is that kind of the same setup here? Yeah, it's the same idea. You don't have anything to start with, so you need to create spaces for yourself, places to make other things and... That's the gist of the story. Okay. So, I mean, I played a little bit of the first one, and it just seemed to me kind of like a like a more structured Minecraft with like a story mode. And that, from, from me looking over your shoulder watching you play this game, that's kind of what it seems like. So, can you tell us, like, I mean, right off the bat, like, looking at it, to me, it looks very similar. I mean, do you feel like it's basically the same game again, or what kind of differences uh, does it bring to the table? It is very similar um, to the first one. In, in a lot of good ways, I enjoyed the building in the first one, and it's funny that you mentioned Minecraft because I do think it is similar in some ways, and yet I Minecraft has never really clicked with me, but I know that you like Minecraft, so I'm not sure exactly what it is that makes me click with this one, but I, I did enjoy it, and um, this, one, this second one is very similar uh, in a lot of ways. You're, again, creating everything kind of from scratch. You get to jump around to different islands where you're going to gather other pieces to build more things. Um, one of the frustrating parts is is starting from scratch. You, you appear at other islands and you don't have anything to start, so you have to start all over again. And so that part is kind of frustrating, which was actually frustrating in the first one as well. Yeah, I, I kind of remember you playing the first one and like you spent like a lot of time on that very first town. I think that was before either one of us realized that you were going to be like going to a brand new town. And then when you realized like once you accomplish your goals in that section, you just like leave all your shit behind and kind of start fresh. I mean, that to me was like one of the biggest reasons why I did not keep playing that game because that was really frustrating. So it seems like they follow the same pattern. And do you feel like it's still, I mean, is it frustrating or do you, now that you know it's coming, does it bother you? Or what do you think about that aspect? Well, it's slightly different in that you actually do start out um, on an island, build there, and then come back to actually what's going to end up being your main island. So you do actually get to come back to your main base, which is, is nice. So you can build up things, use things there, and then you will come back to it later. Okay, so it's not a completely fresh start. So that's pretty yeah. good. Like, uh, and another thing that really bugged me about the first one was, like, I felt like I spent a lot of time, like, grinding for resources, which I know is really common to, like, crafting games and building games like Minecraft and stuff. So, I mean, do you do you enjoy that aspect? Or is there still a lot of grinding for stuff? Or do you, like, like how does that go? Is it just you build whatever you want? Or do you have to spend a lot of time getting materials? There is grinding that happens with it because if you want to build certain things, you need to gather all of the elements that you need to do that. Um, I don't mind it. I don't mind it especially because this game actually came at a good time. I've started a new job that has been really stressful and very time consuming. And so I've actually really enjoyed this game because it allows me to focus on something that's simple but keeps my brain busy. So I've actually really enjoyed it. It's kind of a, an opportunity for me to turn off my brain for a little bit and do something else. So I've enjoyed it from that aspect. I mean, that makes sense. That's basically why I started Graveyard Keeper a couple of weeks ago. Like I knew I wanted something that wasn't too taxing that I could kind of jump into cutting down some trees, um, 
pickaxing, pickaxing, pickaxing. That's not a word. Pickaxing. I'm almost there. Thank you. <laughs> pickaxing a rock is kind of you know you gather your stuff and it's it's mind numbing, but maybe like in a good way when your cathartic. mind actually does need some numbing. Yeah, a little yeah. cathartic. Yeah. Okay. So you've built some stuff. Um, now I gotta say, as I was again watching over your shoulder, just as I'm walking through the room or whatever. It looked to me like the blueprints... Okay, so, like, backing up, the game seems to give you blueprints for stuff that you need to build, and that's kind of how it tracks your progress. Now, when I was looking at you, it seemed like the blueprints that, like, of stuff that you were supposed to make for the story seemed like it was, like, way bigger than it was in the first game. And I was, you know, looking at these and, like, Jesus Christ, I wouldn't want to do that. Like, is that... Do you feel like it's bigger, or is that just my imagination? Or how how is the pace of the story quests and stuff? It is bigger. There um, was one blueprint where you have to follow each of the steps and get it built. And so that was a little tedious and it then take kind of takes control away from you because you have to do what they want you to do. But I will say that once you get past that first initial piece, they you can give it over to your builders. So you can give it over to the people in the town and then they can build stuff for you. So you don't actually have to stick with the huge blueprints that you were doing. You can actually have the builders help you out. Okay, so that brings up two questions in my mind. So number one, so you're saying like you have a bunch of AI dudes that can like build stuff for you? Like do you give them orders or how does that work? And then number two, um, I, I know that you get locked into doing certain things where where kind of progress stops until you meet a certain story goal like build a house or build a temple or whatever. Um, once you get those things built, can you just build whatever you want? I mean, is there like a creative mode or how is that working? Um, for the large blueprint pieces, basically what happens is you set up They'll tell you once you once you do forty blocks, the the town will help you out. So you have to do a certain amount of blocks to get it moving, and then you will have a chest that's set out, and the builders, the people in the town, will just fill it full of stuff, and they'll just build for you. And you can help out as much as you want. You can get in there and do it in addition to that. Um, I don't feel like I was hung up too much by what they wanted me to do. Uh, a couple of times with those larger blueprints, it's a little annoying because you can't really move forward without doing that piece. Um, I think the fine the thing I found most annoying is that at a certain point in the story, you're taken, you're whisked away to a an island of, I guess, prisoners, and don't that's sp- don't spoil too much. No, that's the and that's all I'll say about it. It's just a frustrating piece because again, you're back to square one. And you don't really know what's going on or what's happening. And you just kind of have to go through these tedious steps. And that you cannot do anything until you do each piece that they want you to do. And having the control taken away like that late in the game is just kind of annoying and frustrating. Okay. So um, so circling back a little bit. I, I In the first Dragon Quest Builders, I think there was a creative mode, but it was pretty limited. Um, like you could have like 50 by 50 squares on a map or something and you could build and I think there was like an online training or visiting towns or something have you dipped is there is that still there is there still like a creative or or an online portion to it there is an online portion I actually don't I haven't accessed that at all um I'm not really a online person game player I don't really care for that piece but there is 
There's a portal. You can have people come in and help you build in your town. Like other real people? Yeah. You can have other people join you. So you can actually do multiple people in one game and, you know. Oh, even in the story mode, you can do multiple people too? Yeah. Once the portal opens up, it doesn't open up right away. It opens up later in the game and then you can have people come in and build. But I haven't done any of that piece. Okay, cool. I mean, just more focused on the solo. I mean, that's kind of how you generally roll, right? Yeah, I don't like randos in my town. Uh, yeah, I don't either in real life or in my games. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, okay, so cool. I guess overall, I mean, how do you feel like it stacks up? I mean, are you enjoying your time? Do you feel like it's fun? Would you recommend it to other people who like the first one? Or like, what's your what's your kind of takeaway on it? Yeah, if you enjoyed the first one, I think you would enjoy this one. Um, like I said, I'm at this point in the game that I'm finding a little frustrating. So I'm noticing I'm maybe not coming back to it as often. But I still enjoy the process of building stuff. You can see a lot of um, pictures and photos that people share of the stuff that they build, which is really cool. You can see people build these really amazing things that I just don't have the... And where, do you, where do you see these? Uh, when the game is loading. Oh, you, you really? You see all these pictures, but then also the online portion of it. It's like basically like a billboard that you would walk up to. You can see photos that people have oh. shared, and you can share photos as well. That sounds pretty cool. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Maybe at least just look at what other people... I mean. I know some people will just, like, dive headfirst into a game like this and pour their life into it. So I'm sure sure. there's some pretty awesome stuff out there. Similar to Minecraft, where people just, they really have the creative juice for that, and they make some amazing things, and I'm still figuring out how to get a window that looks like an actual window and not, like, (laughs) built into the floor by accident. Some people build a window, some people recreate recreate all of Westeros in in their their game. So everybody's got their own speed, no big deal. All right, cool. But you would recommend it overall to people who like the first one? Yeah, I think so. All right, excellent. Any final thoughts on Dragon Quest Builders 2? No, whoa, 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 whoa. I almost forgot. I almost forgot. Um, before we wrap, there was some sexist bullshit that was happening in the game. Am oh, I wrong? Oh, yeah. I meant, to, I meant to call this out earlier. I totally forgot, but I'm glad I remembered before we wrapped. What What happened with this, this part? Yeah, there's a really unfortunate piece when you are on one of the islands... And my character, you can build your character as a as female or male, either one. Um, and my particular character is female, but when you arrive at this island, you're basically... The, there's only one female on there. Everybody else are, like, minors, and, like, the one female, her dad is there, whatever. It's kind of like Smurfs Village, right? It's like total kind of, sausage yeah. party and only one chick. Yes. Okay, that's kind <laughs> of awkward, much. yeah. So, basically, they all... She just becomes this, like... Um, kind of goal for them so they like are only willing to do stuff if she promises that she will dance for them Mm. so she promises that she's gonna do this dance for them and that's supposed to be the motivator to get them to work and then at one point she wears this little like um playboy bunny outfit because she's like well i can't just dance like this i gotta have like a special outfit of course you do of course you do. then she's got the special outfit and it's just it was really just like It was just gross. I mean, there was no reason for it. There was, you know, and then I won't share all of this because it's, I guess, a spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, there was a couple of other really just unfortunate sexist pieces that were in there. Some really unnecessary tropes that they threw in that just, it felt really unfortunate to put that piece in there. I mean, honestly, my son was sitting there while I was playing it, and he, even he was like, why are they doing that? So. I don't remember that from the first game. Was that kind of similar in the first game, or was this new to the second game? I don't remember that from the first game either. I don't remember anything like that. I 
Okay. Okay. So. Well, I guess just heads up, folks, that there is that kind of. I mean, would you feel like it? Like it's pretty over the top. Like, did it make? Did it make you feel like it kind of like ruined your enjoyment of the game, or is it like? How yeah, serious honestly, was it? it was pretty gross. Was it? Okay. I think it was really unfortunate. Um, and it was it was the motivating factor for that entire island. Anytime you wanted the miners to do more or be more like you could build parts and they would be like, oh, the, the miners are more motivated or they'll work faster. But ultimately, you're always working towards the goal of getting her to dance. Okay. Okay. So. All right. Well, good to know. Good to know. I'm glad we caught that before we wrapped. But okay. So overall, sounds like a recommend, but heads up for some sexist bullshit. And uh, otherwise, I mean, it's a pretty solid sequel other than that, that stuff that didn't need to be there. Yeah, I would say so. All right, cool, cool, cool. Well, thank you very much for taking this bullet for me. I'm so glad I didn't need to play this, and I'm glad that you... I mean, I, I know for sure you probably enjoyed this more than I have. Um, you think you're going to finish it? Probably. All right, fair enough. Thank you for talking to me, honey, and I will meet you over on the couch. Sounds good. Can I go now? You can go. Great. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. All right, thank you to my wife, Gina, for speaking with me about Dragon Quest Builders, and that will bring us to the end of the show this week. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We will be back next week with another episode. And if you have any fan mail for my wife, please send it along. I'm sure she would uh, appreciate any kind words. Uh, but before we wrap up, we are again giving away more games. I still have PS4. I got Xbox One. I got Switch or PC. Just email and ask me for one. That's all you got to do. Might be a good game. Might be a terrible game. But it will be free either way. Uh, so how do you get one of these free games? Same address where you send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you like to. So video games podcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com after the show goes up there. We are also on Twitter as a show collectively at so video games, and you can reach us individually. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram, B R A D G A L L A W A Y. Corey, where can people find you? You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, and my username is my first and last name, uh, Corey Motley, C O R E Y M O T L E Y. Excellent, excellent. Sorry to podcast and dash, but we got to go. So this is it for us. Thank you for joining us for another So Video Games. And stick around for the banter if you are so inclined. In the meantime, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. crazy day we're flying by the seat of our pants as per usual uh but you had some drama today dude what's up what's up on your end over there yeah i can't thank you enough obviously for shifting our recording schedule up um i'm the one that altered it in the first place to go later and then at the last minute i'm like oh never mind can we record early so let me tell you about the day it's only 2 p.m here and let me tell you about the day that i've had so far already oh, so dear strap in folks okay <laughs> so what so i um as you know i live in new orleans um i we've had i didn't realize this until last night but patrick informed me that there's like kind of like a tropical depression that's coming through which is not unusual for new orleans it basically means that we just get a lot of rain and you know it rains here pretty often i mean we can go a while without rain but if it rains a lot it's not unusual so the thing about New Orleans is that if it rains a lot and rains continuously, there are parts of the city that flood. Because um, you guys are below sea level, right? That is correct. We are below sea level. Okay. And 
there's a lot of times where it'll rain and you'll see like, you know, a viral picture on Twitter and it's like, oh my God, look at New Orleans. And it'll be like water in the streets, like, you know, that are like three or four feet deep. And it is scary, but that's pretty normal here. And it goes down after like an hour or two. So it's not like it's flooded and then, you know, the city's ruined and we never recover. But today, um, there was just a lot of stuff happening today. So it thunderstormed all night last night. And then I got up today and it was raining very hard this morning whenever I got up for work. And... I, we are hiring in my department at work. So we have a dude in town who is interviewing for a position. I volunteered to pick him up from his hotel because he's in a hotel that's like 10 minutes away from, uh, from the university. And I, but I didn't have to pick him up until about an hour after I got to work. And I thought about just staying home for the hour and then going straight to the hotel. But I was like, no, I'll go to work. You know, I'll get settled in for a minute and then I'll leave. So I get up, I take my car it's pouring rain this morning. I drive um, toward the university, which I only live about 15 minutes away from where I work. And the streets are pretty wet. There's maybe like six inches of water in the streets, maybe a foot, um, which is not unusual. Driving to work. And then I turn down the street that kind of leads up to like the parking strip that I go to the university. It's about a half a mile drive on this one street. And as I'm getting toward the university, um, they have blocked off the area where I usually park because it has flooded. It is a very flood-prone area. So I do a U-turn, and I go back down the way I came, and whenever I go to park in the garage, because the garage is above ground, I can park on the third floor, whatever, I'll be fine. So I turn down a different street to go down to park down the garage, and it becomes very evident to me that it's very, very flooded, the street that's leading up to the garage. So I decide to pull up into like the rec center about halfway down the street. And I was, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to try to get out of here and see what I can do. So I pull my car, I turn my car around. I get back on the road to go back toward um, the little like street that sort of like runs perpendicular to the university or parallel, I guess, really. And as I get up to the street, and the street is like pretty safe haven, more or less, the car in front of me stops at the stop sign. I, therefore, I have to stop behind it. I get up to the stop sign. I try to go, and my car dies right there at the stop sign. Oh, no. At this point, it's about two feet of water, I would say. Um, so my car dies. Um, I'm at the stop sign. There's a line of cars behind me. I... I put my flasher, my hazard lights on, because I don't know what the fuck else to do. I try to get my car started. My car will just... The engine is trying to turn over, but it just won't get there. And I'm like, okay, I guess I guess this is what we're dealing with here. Like, I'm stuck in the water. Um, what do you do? Like, never really had this before. Um, so I... Um, so I'm, like, texting Patrick a little bit. I'm trying to text one of my coworkers. I send an email to my boss and my other two people that are in my immediate department. Um, just to say like, Hey, my car got stuck in the rain or in the, the flooded streets. Like I'll be dealing with this today. So, you know, don't expect me in. So I called my insurance company cause that's the smartest thing I could think to do at the time. Um, I guess like I call, I talk to like one guy and then he transfers me to a different person and I talk to her for like 10 minutes. And of course, you know, I'm giving them you know, I have to verify my name, my address, um, tell tell her what street I'm on, you know, the color of my car, all this stuff. And then she's like, okay, well, I'm going to give you back to the guy you were originally talking to. And I was like, okay, perfect. And so I'm on hold for like 
two or three minutes. Keep in mind, the water is steadily rising. It is not going down. It is rising. <laughs> Did you tell rain. them that detail when they were trying to get all your blood type and your underwear size on the phone? Uh, well, <laughs> well, I had told them that, you know, she was very courteous on the phone. She was like, are you safe? Are you okay? And mm. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty safe for right now. I was like, the inside of my car has not flooded, but the, it's, you know, it's slowly getting there. But, you know, right now I'm, I'm relatively safe. And so... Uh, so she <coughs> tries to transfer me back to the other guy, and then she picks up the phone again, and she's like, hey, I'm really sorry. Um, the call center's getting a lot of calls. I'm just going to order the tow vehicle for you myself, and we'll just get it there, you know, as soon as we can. And I'm like, okay, awesome. So she calls. I guess she she hangs up. She's like, you can stay on the phone with me while I call them, or you can, you can hang up. And I was like, I'll hang up. That's fine. Like, I don't need to be on the phone with you. So I hang up. She calls the tow company, allegedly. And then somebody else calls me, a third person from somewhere else uh, from my insurance company, and is talking to me on the phone about, like, okay, we just called the tow company. Um, I'm going to text message you this link that has, like, a tracking thing or whatever. And I'm like, okay, thank you. And, you know, she was very courteous, too. Like, are you okay? Are you safe? You know, is everything okay? And I told her, I'm like, the water is rising. I just want you to know that. I don't know what's going to happen here. And so... I get a text message from somebody about the towing company. The time estimate they give me for the tow truck to get there is up to anywhere up to 300 minutes, 300 <laughs> minutes, which is hours. So I sit there in my car, my car's off and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like all I can do is sit here and wait. Cause I can't get out and push it. The car, the, the rain would the rainwater in the streets would probably be up to my knees if I got out of my car. And there were people walking in the streets, like rain up to their knees or, you know, flooded water. Um, cars pulled all over the sidewalk, all over the median, um, everywhere. And so I sit there for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. My car's off. And then I think to myself, and, and luckily at this point, it stopped raining heavily, but it is still very wet outside. So I say, okay, maybe I'll just try to start my car and see what happens. Like, what's the worst that could happen? So I turn the key and my car starts magically. So I immediately turn it back off and I text Patrick because I've been texting Patrick a little bit through this whole thing. And I'm like, hey, my car started, so that's good news, but I don't really know if I want to try to take it anywhere because it would take me like 100 feet to get across the street where it's relatively more dry. And Patrick's like, well, why don't you just take it slow and try to drive it across the street or try to drive up onto a sidewalk or something? And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll try this. So I turn my car back on a very precariously drive it very and there's like traffic going on the street so when the traffic slows down i drive it across the street luckily i get it across the street onto like damp street um, not standing water street someone in the median fist pumped for me so i was very excited about that because they had been sitting there the whole time <laughs> they seriously so, like fist pumped for you <laughs> yeah they they fist pumped i fist pumped back you know gave them the the hearty fist in the air i drive across the street um, my car seems to be doing okay. Oh, I forgot to mention a small detail. About 10 minutes before I took off, about two inches of standing water was in my floorboards in my car. So, oh my God. So water, God. water has in, entered my car. Um, and that's, and I didn't even realize it was happening. I just kind of like moved my foot in my floorboard and it, I heard some noise and I looked down and I was like, oh cool, we have standing water now. So I pull my car away. Of course the standing water is still there because it's not going anywhere. I get about halfway home, my car dies in the middle of the street. Oh, man. So I'm in the middle of the street, and this is like, the, it's so weird because Jefferson Highway here, it's not, it says highway, but it's not like an interstate. It's like 
two or three lanes on one side, there's a grass median, and then it's like two or three lanes on the other side. The eastbound lanes are completely flooded, like three feet of water. The westbound lanes, damp, but no standing water at all, which is, this is like New Orleans in a nutshell. It's like, you can move five feet in one direction, and it's three feet of standing water, and you move five feet in the other direction, and it's just damp with no standing water. So luckily, I'm on the dry side of the street. But I stop my car right in the middle of the street because I can't get it to go anywhere. I sit there. I try to start it every few minutes. It's not working. I don't know what to do. And I had already called the tow company. And I was like, oh, never mind. I don't need you. I got my car running. So I'm like, well, what do I do? Do I call them back and then act, look like an idiot and tell them to come back out and get me? Or do I call the insurance company back? Like, I don't know what to do. And luckily, I'm sitting there. And there, I'm next to – there's a hospital that's on this highway – and there's two, like, I don't know if they're, like, EMT dudes or something, but these two very, very generous men, Christopher and Paul, thank you so much, they walk up to my car, and they're like, hey, do you want us to push you? We'll try to push you into the parking lot. And I was like, thank you, that would be wonderful. So they both get behind my car, they push me, and I turn over three lanes, and they push me into the parking lot. They have me pop my hood, they look under the hood, um... They both sort of assess that it didn't look like water really got into, like, the engine components, which is good. Um, they checked my air filter and took it out because the first thing he said, he was like, if your air filter's wet, like, that's probably going to do you in right now. And they he took the air filter out and he was like, well, it's not wet, so this is good news. Um, and he was like, well, why don't you just let it dry for a little while and then try to start it up? And he was like, when you start it up, you need to rev the hell out of it to get the pistons moving in the engine so that way it'll, like, dry it out and get all the water out of there if there's anything in there. And I was like, all right, thank you so much. They left. I'm sitting there. I sit there for probably about a half an hour. I start the car up. It starts. I was very happy. I leave it in neutral because I have a manual. And I rev it a lot. And then I let it idle for a minute and it dies. Yeah. And so so I try to start it again. Obviously, it's not starting. So it's doing this thing where like every hour, it like dries out enough for it to start up. But it won't stay going. So at this point, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Like, the good, the good news here is that it's not raining anymore and hasn't been raining for about an hour, but the streets are still flooded. I'm about, I don't know, miles away from my house. Not unwalkable, but miles away from my house. And I'm like, well, what do I do? Do I call the tow company to have them tow it to the house? Do I leave it here? Like, I don't know. So I text Patrick, and I'm like, well, I'm thinking about calling the insurance company and having them tow it or something or i can leave it here and we can come look at it when you get home from work like what do you think is the best idea here and he's like well you might as well just leave it because we're not going to be able to do anything more with it at the house unless it magically starts running then you're going to be able to do it in the parking lot and i was like okay so i leave i walk home from there because i don't want to like call an uber or a lyft or whatever i'm just like whatever i'm kind of close enough to walk home so i walk the 50 minutes it takes me to walk from there oh, to get yeah. to my house got your fucking and, exercise in for the week i see yeah and keep in mind although it's been raining it is hot rain it's like 90 degrees here or something today so it's very warm i was sweaty very humid um walk all the way home i wore my most rainproof quote-unquote shoes to work today which are my motorcycle boots and those are not very comfortable to walk a mile in so I walked all the way home with those on and then immediately got home and took off all of my clothes and got in the shower because what else do you do whenever you've been in that situation? So currently it is 2 p.m. I have already missed my day of work. My car is in a hospital parking lot miles down the street. I'm praying that they don't tow it or that they don't ticket it or something. If I were smart, I probably should have gone in and just told them like, hey, 
my car is dead. Will you, for the love of God, not tow it or anything? But I don't know what the stipulations are in the parking lot, and I just wanted to get home, so I left. Right, 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 right. Yeah, but my car is kind of dead. There's still standing water on all the floorboards. Um, I thank goodness I am safe. I'm not physically harmed. And it is just a car, so, you know, if I need to, like, I don't know, buy another one, worst case scenario, I'm sure I can do that. Um, but it's just, like, today has been a not good day, and I am not looking forward to figuring out how much damage there is done to my car and seeing if it's, like, unfixable or fixable, and if I have to tow it somewhere and get it fixed and pay to get it fixed or pay to maybe get another car like this is just like not what i need right now i mean nobody ever nobody who has a car ever wants this kind of thing to happen like you want your car to work you want to depend on it because not having a car is a difficult thing and i realize i'm incredibly fortunate to have a car and i'm incredibly fortunate to be in a situation where if i needed to buy a used car i probably could afford one um so I don't want to make it sound like I have the worst luck on the planet because I'm in a privileged enough position to be able to maybe handle this stuff with the help of my husband. Um, but it just sucks. Like, this is not a good situation to be in. And I wish that somebody from the fucking university would have sent out an email that was just like, hey, maybe stay home today, guys. But, like, we had our interview today, so I thought I had to be there to do the interview. I had volunteered to pick up this guy from the interview. My boss's boss had emailed our entire team this morning and was like, hey, our secretary called in today. Um, we need to scramble to find coverage. So that was, like, another thing that I thought was, like, weighing on me. And I'm just that kind of guy where, like, I try to go to work no matter what, like, adversity I'm facing. <clears throat> and finally, that kind of bit me in the ass today because I sat in my car for two hours while it was dead in the water. And then it died twice again and now i don't have access to it right now so this is not my best day wow well that is quite a story and i have to say i am pretty disappointed in you man because if you oh, didn't no. want to keep our original recording time you didn't have to come up with all this fiction <laughs> just to reschedule with me okay like you could have just said hey it's not going to work for me let's reschedule i would be like totally fine and uh, you <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just totally fucking with you. That sounds that sounds fucking miserable. Um, I don't know what it would be like. I mean, we have threats of like inclement weather, and there's always the the background fear of like earthquake. But I can't imagine what it would be like to like. Oh no, the water's rising, and my car's filling up with water, and I'm gonna, like I'm gonna be living in an ocean for the next hour. That sounds really scary and nerve wracking. I gotta, you know, I know that we, I don't know if we talked about it in the show or maybe we talked about it offline, but um, since Louisiana or not Louisiana, but uh, New Orleans, I don't know about the rest of Louisiana, but uh, I know that New Orleans is below sea level, and that's pretty unusual for cities. I don't know that there are many cities in America below sea level. It might even be the only one. Who knows? But since you guys are kind of like in a danger zone already because you are below sea level, uh, I'm wondering, do you carry? I mean, I know you talked about flood preparedness and stuff, but like since we talked about it, have you bought like, like I know this sounds stupid, but like a raft <laughs> like to put in the back of your trunk and some oars? I mean, maybe you would actually like need it one time if this happens again, you know, like, I mean, for real. Um, I don't, I don't have a lot of emergency stuff in my car. I have like a little first aid kit in the back of it, but the thing about like, and this is the thing about New Orleans that, that, is that it's so spotty. So like you can have streets that are completely flooded and then half a mile away, it looks like it never rained. So it really just depends on exactly where you are and where you're going. And Patrick and I are fortunate enough to live 
outside of like the downtown area enough to where like our neighborhood doesn't flood. Like it can rain really, really heavily and our neighborhood, like we'll get like, you know, an inch or two of standing water in the yard, but like our streets never flood. Our cars are never underwater, like in our driveway or on the side of our streets or whatever. So like we're in a good spot where we don't really have to worry about that. But as soon as we like, you know, in an instance like today where I'm more at risk than Patrick is because it floods whenever you get east into like the city because we live west of the city and he goes even farther west for work. So he goes even farther away from downtown where it's like even less likely to flood. So like I'm kind of the big one at risk here where I, you know, it's like if I go to work, I have to be really cognizant of like, okay, how are the streets going to be? Because I've been in situations where I parked at work and then it started raining heavily while I'm at work and there'll be like one street on campus that's flooded and I just have to like wait an hour for the flooding to go down so I can cross the street and then go to my car and leave. Or either that or just like walk through two feet of standing water to get to my car, which I don't really want to do in like business clothes. Um, so it's just, it's just weird because it's so like compartmentalized in the city where some places flood really bad and some places don't flood at all. And so... It's just, like, there's got to be some, like, master map out there somewhere that shows, like, flood-prone streets or something and, like, versus non-flood-prone streets. But I don't really have a lot of, um, I don't know, emergency preparedness flooding utensils in my car. Maybe, I don't know, I should just strap, like, a freaking canoe to the top of my car or something in case it floods. It's just so inconvenient. I mean... It sounds absurd, dude, but if I was you, like, I might want to think about, like, inflatable raft or life preserver or something. I mean, maybe maybe it's not going to be deep enough to where you couldn't touch bottom and you would just, like, you know, you couldn't swim back home or something. But, you know, if you get carried away in some rushing water or I don't know, just, you know, I don't know. It just seems like with all that being a concern, you might want to just take, like, maybe, like, one step to preserve preserve your livelihood. You know what I mean? Yeah, if I were smart, I would consider that, but I'm not very smart and i just should have stayed home today could have avoided this whole thing if i had stayed home today but i was just so so determined to get to work that i really fucked myself over well and is it is it policy to close down when torrential rains come like this i mean is that a pretty common thing where you're at because it seems like this is a not an unusual sort of thing to happen so is the school like oh yeah just take the day off or like you know, we're going to close down for two hours or is that a thing that happens or does everybody try to just like power through as normal, no matter what? I mean, I, I, I think it really depends on the departments on campus because it's rare that the entire campus will shut down. Cause I mean, when it snows, it does because it never snows here. Um, but like if there's like a hurricane threat, unless it's like really severe, then maybe the whole university will shut down. And like, you know, if I emailed my boss this morning and said like, hey, it's raining, I'm going to work from home today, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Like he wouldn't have been like, oh my God, you're fired. Like he would have been like, okay, cool. Like stay home, whatever. Because people do that at work, you know, if they're sick or something. But there's not, since I've worked there, there's not a giant precedent for like closing down the university. Like I haven't received a single email today from the university saying like, hey, we're closing the school because it's flooding, which really surprises me. Um, so I guess people just, like, power through. Like, I I also don't know because it's summertime, so, like, there's a lot less going on at the university. So if this had happened in, like, October, maybe it would be a different story. But I just wish that somebody would have sent out a goddamn email that was like, hey, maybe you should 
think about not coming to work today because it's really flooded. But nobody sent that email. So I went to work like a dummy and then paid the price for it. Wow. Wow. Well, that is quite a story. Number one, I'm glad that you're safe. I'm glad you got home. I mean, you know, it sounds like a lot of stuff to figure out about your car and like a whole lot of ordeal. I'm sure that was very stressful and panicky. Um, feel free to upload like, you know, something to Instagram saying that you're trapped on top of your car. I'll <laughs> see that and I will uh, launch some rescue efforts and get you or something like that if that ever happens again. <laughs> um, but man, okay, well, Jesus, I guess, I guess I don't even know what to even say to that except for I'm sorry that'll happen and I'm glad you're safe. So I <laughs> I guess keep us posted on what happens. I mean, sounds like your car will eventually be okay if it wasn't too bad and we'll just, you know, get back to normal until the next time, I suppose. Yeah, hopefully um, I'll keep everybody updated on what's going on if it's anything severe. But um, yeah, hopefully everything is will be okay, but we'll see. All right. Well, I don't have anything at all that can follow up the scope of what <laughs> you just said. So I guess I won't. I guess we'll just transfer into something totally unrelated. Um, I've been doing basically nothing. Nothing exciting to talk about. Um, no drama. No nothing at all, which is kind of the way I like it. Um I don't even know. I mean, we're doing, we're doing, it sounds weird, but we have one more pride celebration to go to, um, south of Seattle is Tacoma. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, the queers down in Tacoma are just really late with getting their shit, <laughs> getting their parade floats together and all that. So they're doing it this weekend, even though like literally like the rest of the world has already packed up their rainbows until next year. <laughs> um, so we're going to do Tacoma Pride this weekend because my wife's agency supports them down there. Other than that, I mean, I'm not really, like, doing anything except for, like, watching TV. And I was, you know, I was sick a while ago. This is the first week where I'm starting to feel like I'm back to 100%, so that's kind of good. But we didn't have anything, like, planned, nothing exciting going on, nothing fun. I don't know. I got nothing to say, really. Maybe we could talk TV or something if you want, but I got... Like, literally, like, nothing else. It's kind of boring week. Well, I I have something that we can discuss, and I think this might excite you. Okay, let, let's have it. Um, I saw Spider-Man Far From Home last night. Excellent. You know, I was actually re-listening to the show, and I'm like, oh, that's right. I meant to ask you about that, so perfect timing. Glad you brought it up. You saw it last night. Do tell. I am. I want to spoil the hell out of this with you as, like, our last banter segment of the show. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have... Oh, yeah, okay. Hold on to that for one second, and then we'll do a spoiler, and then we'll wrap it up. Let me just get really quickly go through the trivial, meaningless bullshit that I had lined up, which is nothing. Um, I started watching One Punch Man. Did we talk about this already? I can't remember if we did. We haven't, but I saw your tweet about it, and I was surprised because we had previously talked about anime and how you couldn't really get into anything. And I know you had watched a little bit of Cowboy Bebop after I talked about it, and then suddenly you're like... I watching One Punch Man, and I was like, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> yeah, we kind of fell off of Bebop. I keep meaning to come back to it because we were enjoying it, and we just kind of just, like, forgot about it randomly. So it's not like we didn't like it. we got to come back to it. Um, I think somebody had suggested to my son that One Punch Man was good, and then he brought it up. And I've seen it on, like, Netflix, like, a jillion times. Like, it always comes up in the searches, even though I have watched exactly zero anime on Netflix my entire life. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, we can check it out. Um, are you familiar with the premise at all or not really? I know, like, what the lead character looks like because I've seen pictures of him and I've seen cosplay of him a bunch, but I really don't know anything about the show. So it's kind of, 
it's kind of like a comedy and it's also kind of like kind of a shoegazing sort of a life what is life about sort of a thing um so what happens is there's a guy uh his name is saitama and he's just like a salary man like a business guy or whatever he decides that he wants to become a superhero and the world that this is set in there are superheroes there are people who have various powers and there's robots and psychic people and etc etc so he's like oh my life sucks i hate working in an office i want to be like a businessman so he like commits to this regimen of like a hundred sit-ups, a hundred pull-ups and a hundred push-ups like a day. (laughs) And he does that for like two years. And then he becomes like the strongest person in the universe. Like he is just like inexplicably strong and fast and like basically impervious to like everything. And they kind of make fun of it. And I don't know if there's ever going to be like a secret reveal or if it's just, you know, it doesn't really matter why he's that way. That the point is that he is that way or I mean, I'm to be honest with you, I'm not really that curious about why he is that way. It's not really that important. But he's so strong that he can literally kill anything in one punch. Like, it doesn't matter what happens. Like, he just... It could be, like, the giant robot. It could be aliens. It could be a giant monster. It could be, like, anything. He's so strong that, like, he just punches things one, one time. Literally one time, which is where they get the name <laughs> of the series. It is called One Punch Man, after all. And the thing just, like, explodes into blood chunks. And, like, nothing... Nothing can stand up to him. And so he gets really bored and really sad because he wanted to be this cool hero that has awesome fights and people would look up to him. And not only does he not get satisfaction from fighting because it, everything is over, like, in one second. Like, as soon as he raises his fists, it's over. Um, people start to, like, not think that he's a hero. Like, they think it's fake or that it's staged because he's winning so many fights and that, you know, like, they're like, oh, that couldn't have been a strong monster. If you punched it one time and it blew up, that must have been a fake monster. Or that must have been a weird monster. So he's, like, the strongest, most capable dude on Earth and possibly the, the universe. And, like, nobody knows who he is and, like, nobody pays attention to him and they think he's a joke. So a lot of the series is about him kind of poking fun at that. I mean, kind of being depressed, kind of being this, just, like, he's in this malaise where he just has, like, no feelings because everything is boring Nothing's a challenge. Like, it doesn't matter how fierce or scary the monster is. Like, it can't touch him. And so he's just like, what is life even all about? And why am I here? And what am I even supposed to be doing? So it's got a pretty interesting take on things like that. I mean, it's kind of like the Superman syndrome where, you know, nothing's like an interesting fight. And if there's nothing that can hurt him, then what do you do with a hero like that? And it kind of, he just kind of falls into this depression, basically. Uh, But he meets uh, a guy who's like a cyborg who wants to be his disciple. They meet a bunch of other heroes. He gets involved in the hero association. It's kind of like a, like a job. You can become a hero if you want to, and you got to work your way up the ranks and all this other stuff happens, but it's pretty funny. I think the first season is actually pretty good because every episode, like it just ups the stakes more and more and more and more. And it just kind of shows him how he's just like, is not getting any kind of fulfillment out of this whole thing. Uh, so it's an interesting, interesting uh, examination of this guy and about what it might be like to be like that. And there's like, you know, there's laughs and there's goofy stuff that happens. Um, so we got through the whole first series. I thought it was pretty good, better than I expected. And we just started season two. Season one is on Netflix. Season two, I think, is exclusively on Hulu for some reason. Uh, and it's OK so far. I'm not really I mean, honestly, I feel like. The first season is kind of a complete story in and of itself. And I was really wondering what they were going to do with season two. Um, they, they keep talking about more of the Hero Association and having just more adventures like that and just kind of more just stuff happening, which is okay. 
Um, they've kind of dialed back on the fights a little bit, and they're kind of just, like, more talking, which is, mm, I mean, I don't know. I kind of watch it for some of the fights, but it's not bad. It's pretty interesting. Um, not what I would have expected, and it's uh, pretty goofy, and I do like the One Punch Man himself as a character. He's pretty pretty fun, pretty fun. Um, it's, it's interesting when he's, like, in the middle of a fight, and this monster's trying to bite his head off, and there's all this blood and gore going on, and giant claws and like you look at his face and he's just like fucking bored like he's so <laughs> bored and he's thinking about like going to the supermarket because green onions are on sale and he's really excited to like save a couple bucks that's like all he's thinking about when he's fighting this monster and he just like punches it and it's like it's over and it's just it's strange to see that weird kind of dichotomy of like this intense fight which would be like the capstone of any other anime and here he is just like oh god i gotta fight this thing again and who cares and it's just it's it's a really wild kind of a show really kind of wild. i don't know if it's your thing or not but it's pretty interesting that sounds pretty funny. I don't like, you know how much of a struggle it is to get me to watch TV shows, but um, that actually sounds, I don't know if it sounds entirely up my alley, but the idea of that scenario of like him being bored with fights sounds pretty funny to me because I like sort of like when stuff is like flipped on its head in a way where, you know, it, like you said, it would be like originally like the showdown of the series, but him just like yawning his way through it sounds pretty funny to me. Yeah, it's pretty good. I don't know if season two is gonna is gonna stand up, but I think that season one, I think it's only like twelve episodes total, so it's a pretty short watch. Um, is a pretty good self contained story, I think. Um, the the only other thing significant that we've been watching, well, uh, two things really quickly. We got deeper into Swamp Thing. I, I talked about this earlier, didn't I? Swamp Thing. We had talked about um, <clears throat> how we had both. You brought it up, and we had both wa- both watched the trailer and how it looked really good. And since then, you haven't updated on seeing the show, but I have seen several um, concerning news reports about the show already like not being finished and never coming back. Have you heard about all this too? Yeah, I have. So let me. <clears throat> I did a little bit of research on this. So Swamp Thing is on DC, DC, I think it's called DC Universe. It's their own streaming service, which I heard is already in trouble. Uh, no <laughs> surprise, because why would you pay for that? Like, it's stupid. They should just make these shows and then sell them to other channels. Like, other channels would buy these shows. They're really good quality shows. Um, we, I, I originally subscribed to DC Universe for Doom Patrol, which I thought was really, really good, uh, really enjoying it. We haven't finished it yet, but we have really enjoyed all the episodes we've seen. Very high quality, like lots of star power. Good show. Uh, and then we started watching Swamp Thing, which is, like, great special effects, really creepy. Um, I think we're about halfway through the series. It's a really good a really good show. Like, I really like this take on Swamp Thing. I think it's gothic, swampy, creepy horror, and there's all sorts of, like, evilness going on. And Swamp Thing is, like, looks really cool and tough. And, I mean, it's just a very cool take on the whole Swamp Thing uh, mythos. Good show. I love it. I do recommend it. I mean... The only way to watch it is to subscribe to the DC Universe thing, but it's like eight bucks a month and you could jump on and watch the entire thing in a weekend and just only pay eight dollars to watch that and then, you know, watch Doom Patrol while you're at it. And I think that's a really good value. And then stop your subscription after one month, which is basically what everybody in the world is doing, which is why they're not making any money at DC Universe, because it's stupid. No one (laughs) needs to subscribe to this. It's stupid. Um, But yes, one thing is already canceled, which really fucking it totally bummed me out because um I think it's a great show and I would be very interested in watching more of it. But what happened was something got mixed up somewhere. And when the, the people at DC were filming the show or were arranging to film the show, I think they're in, I want to say they're like in Alabama or something like that. It could be somewhere else, but anyway, whatever state they applied to film in, they're like, Oh yeah, we have X, Y, Z budget and we're a startup. And so we're doing this thing. And they applied for these like credits from the state of Alabama or whatever state it was. And they're like, okay, cool, you qualify for, like, 
$10 million of funding. I mean, I'm making up these numbers, of course, but like, I'm just, this is just the gist of what I'm talking about here. Um, so they're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So they counted on getting all this money to offset the cost of filming this series, which I can only imagine cost them a fucking arm and a leg because the, <laughs> the special effects are really good. So they start filming and then halfway through the filming, the state of Alabama is like, wait a minute, you guys are actually a much bigger operation than you said you were. And then DC is like, oh, our bad. Did we f- did we leave off that extra zero? Like, we meant to say we were a certain size. And we're actually much bigger than that. So the state of Alabama, I mean, I'm not saying anybody was intentionally deceiving anybody, but there was a mistake made along the line somewhere. So the state of Alabama, or whatever state, uh, revoked the funding. They're like, oh, you guys, are, we can't fund you because you're much bigger than we thought. This money is set aside for really small projects. You're a really big project. Um, we're taking our money back. And so that pulled the rug out from under the filming because the filming of Swamp Thing was counting on those dollars. So it's over. They don't have any more funding for it, and I don't think they will because DC Universe is going under. So I don't know. It was originally planned to be an ongoing series. They stopped and said, okay, well, we ran out of money. We're going to make it a 10-episode limited series, but I don't know that they've even completed 10. So I'm hoping they have. We haven't run out of new episodes. Like We're going like one a day, and we still have more episodes to get through. But when you look at the online listing... For, like, episodes, like, 8, 9, and 10, it's kind of like a little TBD placeholder. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if they're going to actually have anything. It may it may just end up just stopping in the middle of nothing. So we'll see what happens. Really fucking bummed because I thought this was a really cool show. Um, same thing with uh, Doom Patrol. That's not going to be continuing. And I don't know what else is going to happen to the other shows that DC Universe was talking about doing. But they should just drop the streaming service, get rid of this, and just sell these properties to some other channel i mean these are really good shows that that would be successful other places so really really bummed but i mean all that stuff aside the episodes i've seen of swamp thing so far have been pretty badass i really like it a lot gross dark swampy scary real strong horror vibe um just really really cool really good really good take on swamp thing yeah i had heard um, whenever i was reading about the stuff going on uh, with the funding and everything i had originally read and i don't know if this is true or not but it seems like what you said is kind of <clears> confirmed it <throat> that they couldn't even film the season finale of it so like what i had read is that yeah it literally just like stops in the middle of the season and then they run out of money and they won't like even get to finish the first season so that is a huge bummer yeah, I'm hoping that it does wrap up in some way, but I am bracing myself for the total just like unintentional cliffhanger and then just series finale at the same time. So we'll see. Um, just one more shout out real quick, and then we will turn it over to you for your spoilerific discussion. Just nothing really big to talk about, but um, rewatching Steven Universe again, going through the series again. I love this series so much, Corey. I, there are so few sh- shows that I've watched two times. I can probably count them on one hand. Uh, but we're going through Steven Universe again, episode by episode. This time with my wife. I told her that she should watch it. And at first, she was like, eh, not sure if that's my thing. And I'm like, no, 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 it totally is your thing. Trust me. She's like, eh. And I'm like, this is going to sound crazy, especially in relationship to how I talk about games. But I'm like, okay, so look, this is going to sound this is going to sound nuts. But you have to watch, like, like, you have to watch, you have to get past the first 30 episodes and once you're past the first 30 episodes <laughs> it gets really fucking good and she, she looked at me like i'm fucking crazy right? and in any other situation i would think that was crazy like if anybody told that to me i would tell them they were crazy like i, I know how this sounds I, I i get it right but 
the first 30 episodes are just the really light, you know, hey, we're cartoon characters and we're doing stuff and we're having adventures and it's all, I mean, it's fun. It's a fine cartoon, but they don't start getting into the, the deep, heavy stuff until like after the first 30 episodes. And I'm like, look, you may like the fun stuff. You may not like the fun stuff, but I know you will like the heavier stuff once they get there. You got to just get there. So she's like, uh, sure. Okay, whatever. Fine. So she trusted me. And we've been, you know, it took her a long time to get through the first 30 episodes because she just wasn't really that hooked on it, which is fine. Uh, but we finally got past that mark. We started getting to the deeper stuff. And she's like, oh, okay. She's like, I see. I see why you like this so much now. And I'm like, I know, right? It's so good. It's so good. So we're into the juicy stuff now. We're into the good content. And the shit is just so good. Rewatching it is wonderful. I'm seeing all sorts of stuff that I didn't notice the first time and some hints that were dropped that didn't mean anything to me the first time but they mean something to me now and just really just taking in like the nuance and sophistication of the stuff that they've done in this cartoon which is really just i mean it's a real testament to the writing it's a pretty singular experience i'm really really impressed with it um especially the second time so when you're watching steven universe i have nothing but like the highest possible recommendation for anybody to watch steven universe i think it is wonderful and they are coming out with steven universe the movie later this year, which I'm super psyched about. Um, the series is over, but they're going to do, I think, a two-hour special. It's going to be a musical, which is great, because the music in that show is wonderful. And Steven grows up. He's, like, in his teens now, as opposed to being, like, a, a young kid like he was. So I don't know what they're going to do with that, but I cannot wait. Super, super, super excited. I have nothing but, like, endless love for Steven Universe. It is the best. I am excited for you, but I also don't really have anything to say in response to that. No problem, no problem. But if you ever want to get past the first thirty episodes, let me know and I'll walk you through it. And we'll we'll make, we'll oh do God. we'll do a brand new podcast deconstructing every episode of Steven Universe. You and me, let's go. Um, it's hard enough to balance one podcast. I don't know if I could do two. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, spoilerific discussion, folks. If you don't want to be spoiled on Spider Man Far From Home, then please pause the recording. Corey is about to drop some knowledge and tell us what he thought of Spider-Man Far From Home. I will also chip in because I've seen it as well. So this is your spoiler warning. Do not spoil yourself if you don't want to be because now, Corey Motley, you are going to be talking about Spider-Man Far From Home in, out, around, up and down, all the various <laughs> bits of it. So do tell. What did you think? Okay, so Patrick and I went and saw it last night. We saw it in um, standard, not even in IMAX because we tried to check tickets for IMAX and the seats that we were, were available to reserve were like, there were like five seats left in the freaking auditorium. So <clears throat> we went across town to go see it at kind of like a not great theater, but um, you know, whatever, seeing Spider-Man on a not great theater is better than not seeing Spider-Man at all. So we went and saw it. And um, so I guess like to preface it a little bit, I mean, you might've done this last week, but now we can like really dive in on it. So the movie is about um, it's post, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame and it's the first Marvel movie that has come since Endgame and it kind of like wraps up a little bit of what was going on in that universe where they explain a little bit more about the Thanos snap they call it the blip now and it basically everybody who came back from the blip uh, came back five years older um, but they basically reversed in Peter Parker's school at least in New York and Queens um they they talk about in the movie how they made them start the school year over again. So even though a bunch of people came back, like half their class came back and were five years older, they like all restarted the same grade. So that's kind of an interesting premise that, to build on is that like they aged during the blip in a sense. Um, no, no, no. You got it backwards. They didn't Oh, is it age. backwards? They didn't. It's, oh. Yeah. The people who blipped out stayed exactly the same age 
as when they left, as when they uh, got dissolved. That makes sense. Sorry. Yeah. But no, no. But and that. then everybody who was still here is now miraculously like five years older. So when the people come back, it's like, oh, it's weird. All of our friends are older. And Yeah. Okay. My bad. Um, no worries. You had the right idea. You just had it backwards. Yes. Okay. So, so yeah. So like half the class is older, half the class is not older, which I guess obviously makes sense because that explains why. Tom Holland is not like 25 now. He's still like supposed to be like 16 or whatever in the movie. Um, the class goes on a big class field trip. They go to different continents. They go to like, well, they want to go to Paris. They go to Italy, um, to Prague, to some different places. And then shenanigans ensue. Um, there's a giant, there's these giant like elemental monsters that are attacking different parts of the world. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal is cast as Mysterio. He comes back not comes back because he was never there in the first place, but he was in a different universe and he comes to our quote unquote universe um, because his earth blew up and he is helping Spider-Man defeat or Spider-Man is helping him rather defeat um, these elemental monsters. And then stuff kind of goes off the rails from there to put it lightly. Um, but uh, I, man, I, I have to be, that guy, um, I didn't really oh, like no. this movie oh, that no. much. I really what? Yeah. Oh my goodness! I, what? I just didn't. I didn't really care about anything that was going on. Like whenever, because okay, so to drop to to drop the biggest spoiler, perhaps there is yeah, to drop go, here. Go for it. Do it. Do is it. that Jake Gyllenhaal is actually the bad guy? Like Mysterio is the bad guy. He kind of puts on, and I'm glad you said this last week when we talked about the show because you were talking about how you knew Mysterio is kind of this, like, someone who didn't really have superpowers, but was someone who, like, used, like, movie magic to kind of, like, pull off these heists and stuff. And I think it's incredible that they kept that consistent with the live-action character because you think that Mysterio is this giant superhero who has a cape and can fly around and shoot these, like, green beams from his hands, and he's, like, attacking these big monsters. But really, it's just Jake Gyllenhaal using all of this technology that he helped build for Stark Industries that he kind of stole back because he was mad that he never got credit for it. So he's using all these drones to like build these giant like holograms in the middle of these cities that look like monsters attacking the cities and then he's fighting them and it's all this big stage thing, which that is a premise that I'm pretty on board with um, because the whole time that this whole uh, incident was getting set up where it's like, oh, we have these elemental monsters and we're going to fight them. It seemed to me like things were moving really, really quickly in the movie. And I was like, can we just like take a second here? Like, I don't <laughs> like everything's moving really fast. And it seems like the stakes are not very high because you come and especially coming off, you know, Infinity War and Endgame where it's literally like half the universe dies and then half of it comes back. Um like, I, I was just like, really? We have, like, a giant fire monster? Like, that's the thing that we're fighting in this movie? Like, that does not seem... I mean, obviously, the stakes are high because it can, like, destroy a city. But, like, it's the kind of thing I was talking about last week where it's like, oh, there's a monster. It's going to destroy a city. They're going to defeat the monster. The movie's going to be over. That's, like, what I was thinking this whole time. And then they come to reveal that Mysterio is actually the bad guy, and he's doing this whole, like, song and dance to look like a superhero. Um, and he's trying to plan to kill spider-man and like all of his friends because they get a hold of one of the drone pieces and discover that he's putting on a song and dance and then like that part it started to get a little bit interesting to me because for the first like half of the movie i like didn't give a fuck about anything that was going on in the movie and then like at the halfway point when it's like revealed the mysterio is like doing this like smoke and mirrors thing and he's actually the bad guy i was like okay like like for fuck's sake finally this movie's going somewhere and like i'm finally getting kind of interested in it 
And then there's this whole sequence, this incredible sequence where Mysterio is like pulling um, kind of like, you know, uh, like his tricks on Spider-Man. And there's this big sequence where like uh, Spider-Man is kind of like going through these like distorted reality scenarios where he doesn't know what's real and he doesn't know what's not real. And it was like basically a copy pasted version of like the Scarecrow sequences from Batman Arkham Asylum. Like it was like that, but with Mysterio and Spider-Man in the movie. And that whole sequence was bananas in a very good way. I wish that they would have done a lot more with that because as I've said on the show a million times, I'm the kind of person where like, I like to play games or watch movies where like they kind of fuck with you and you don't really know what's going on and you don't know what's real and you don't know what's not. And that was like the whole scenario where like he kept thinking, like Spider-Man kept thinking he knew what was real and then it wasn't real. And like, you know, Mysterio would be over in the other corner, like putting on this, this show for him and everything. And that was really fascinating. I mean, he also used a lot of imagery that really fucked with Spider-Man because he showed a lot of, like, Iron Man stuff and, like, Iron Man skeleton and, like, tried to show kind of, like, a zombie Iron Man. And obviously, like, Spider-Man's very upset about Iron Man dying. That's, like, a big theme in the movie. Um, But I felt like it just kind of, like, I just didn't, ultimately didn't really care about anything that was going on. And I think that the thing that, I think, two, two things that bothered me about the movie was there's a big plot point where... Uh, Spider-Man gets Tony Stark's glasses, sunglasses, that, like, allow him to control this, like, satellite in outer space to basically do, like, drone drone strikes and, like, do all this stuff. And, like, after being teamed up with Mysterio for, like, half a day, he's like, oh, Mysterio, I think you deserve these glasses more than I do because I don't want the responsibility of these glasses and I don't think I can handle it. And I'm like, okay, like, I know that Spider-Man is, like, mentally like fucked a little bit because of the aftermath of like Endgame and like Tony Stark dying and everything but like he's also like a genius so I feel like he was that whole plot point just didn't really wash with me because I was like I don't think he would have actually done this it seemed really unbelievable to me and then the other part wait wait wait, let's pause on this because I want to discuss let's go let's go to this one at a one okay one at a time one at a time one at a time. So say write down your other thing, so don't forget it. Um, so, like, I totally agree. I thought it was dumb, but you have to remember that he is also, like, 16 or 17, and those people are stupid. Like, I'm sorry, but you are when you're a teenager. You're just dumb. Like, you may have a lot of technical knowledge, and he's clearly, like, a genius when it comes to, like, you know, science stuff, which is true of the comics, too. I mean, Peter Parker is, like, really fucking smart, and people kind of forget that because he's Spider-Man. But that's also part of his his powers is like he's a fucking genius, like he's genius class guy. So that may be true, but he's got hormones. He has zero experience with girls. He just wants to get like to back to his vacation. Like he just wants to put the moves on MJ. And he's just like, I don't want to do this. I don't want this responsibility. I mean, to me, I felt like it was dumb, but it also kind of rang a little bit maybe truer for me than for you, because I could imagine how you would do something stupid. I mean, he's got like this perma boner that he just wants to like start working on. And he just like, you know, he just, he just don't want to, doesn't want to be dealing with all this heavy shit, especially coming back with Tony Stark still being dead. Maybe he still thinks about, you know, maybe it's, it's hard for him to have his glasses just because he's sad still, or doesn't want to maybe, maybe he thinks if he has the glasses, like it's going to like lead him down the same path and he just can't measure up. I mean, I feel like they did a pretty good job of layering that stuff in. I can totally understand what you mean about it being stupid and, a really dumb choice and maybe it didn't work for you and that's totally fine. But I think they did as much as they could do with, to layer in the whole, I'm a dumb kid and I'm making a really dumb choice right now. Um, so I, I bought it more than you did, I think. Yeah. And I think part of, 
part of my, this is one of those critiques of mine where like some of my critiques about this movie say a lot more about me than they do about the movie because part of my judgments that I'm passing on this movie is the fact that I'm just like, I'm like an old jaded robot and there's like a lot of stuff where I'm just like, <laughs> I like, I'm just like too, I feel like I'm too old for this movie or I'm too like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't want to say I'm like smarter than the movie because that's dumb, but like, I just, I, I don't have a lot of suspension of disbelief for stuff like that. So I find it hard to believe, like, I get it, you know, he's 16, whatever, and that's totally valid. But just like from me, I'm just like, okay, like, Spider-Man, you've known Mysterio for, like, half a day, and you're, like, already, like, giving him one of the most powerful weapons in the world that your idol, like, entrusted to you. Like, it just seemed really stupid to me, and I just couldn't, I couldn't buy it. I thought it was too silly. I mean, I totally, I totally get what you're saying, and I think that's a valid perspective. Um, but just, like, within the terms of the film, I think they really try to layer in. And, and one other piece of evidence that they kind of layer in that kind of tries to give credence to the idea of him giving him with his glasses is that, you know, supporting the whole teenager poor decision, really quick thinking sort of thing is when Spider-Man's best friend, I'm sorry that I don't know what his name is, but his best friend um, sits next to that girl on the plane. They're strangers when the plane takes off. And when they get off the plane, like they're like in love and they're like a couple, (laughs) which was was like funny. (laughs) It was fucking, it was totally funny. And I think it was hilarious. It did a great comedy relief thing. But I think that's just one more evidence of like, hey, you know, these guys are kids and they're making these crazy decisions and who in the world would ever like commit to somebody over the course of a flight. And I mean, I mean, I think to me, it kind of just spoke to the whole rashness of being that age. But um, I I get your criticism for sure. For sure. So what is the uh, what is the other the other thing you had? And the other thing that goes hand in hand with this is the fact that like for the entire movie, um, basically like the the biggest stakes that Tom Holland or Peter Parker, or I guess it would be Peter Parker rather than Spider-Man has in the movie is that he doesn't, he doesn't want to save the world. He doesn't really want to be a superhero. All he wants to do is put his normal clothes back on. And he's like obsessed with MJ who is played by Zendaya in the movie. And he's like, thinks he's in love with her. And like the whole time he's like trying to come up with this plan to like talk to her and like ask her out. And you know, he's like super like infatuated with her and I, I just don't, I don't, I didn't care. Like, I don't like movies where the biggest plot point is like, I want to get a girlfriend. Cause it's like, there is so, and I, I get it. Like he's 16. I know having a girlfriend or a boyfriend is like the most important thing in the world whenever you're like 14 to 18. But this is more evidence of me being too old for this movie because like I have gotten to the point in my life in my sad, jaded life that I I think that there's way more important things out there than having a girlfriend or boyfriend. And for the entire movie, for his like biggest driving thing in the movie to be like, I want to have, I want to be MJ's boyfriend or I want to kiss her or I want to give her this necklace. I was just like, like, really, man? Like, you've like saved the universe and like three movies and like, this is the thing that like you're more passionate about than anything else. You have sunglasses in your hand that give you access to one of the most dangerous but effective weapons in the world. And all you care about is like asking MJ out. And like MJ, like I didn't even think she was that realistic of a character. She's just this like really awkward, like not interesting girl. And like, I don't like, I like Zendaya well enough, but like, I just don't really, I just didn't get it. Like, I don't get, 
I, I don't like the objective of a movie to be like to get the girl or to get the guy or whatever. I just think it's really kind of rote. So just like for his whole like driving factor of the movie to be like, oh my God, I want to ask MJ out. I just wanted to look at him and be like, there's more to life than having a girlfriend. Like you are fucking superheroes. So like put your fucking tights on and go fight these monsters and shut the fuck up <laughs> and stop. Like, I, I just like, I don't have the patience for stuff like that. And I know, like I said, this reflects more on me and my sad existence of a human being than it does on like anything else. But like, I just, I can't get on board with stuff like that with like, oh my, I just want to have a girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, I don't know. And then like, there's a big kind of reveal in the movie where like, she actually has a really big crush on him, but she won't say anything. And then finally it kind of comes out that like, they both have been crushing on each other the whole time. And, and also like, Tom Holland is like hot as fuck. Like, how are you like the sexiest guy in your class with like, pecs and abs and you're like a fucking nerd and you can't talk to a girl like it, i'm just like oh my god like i just don't i don't have patience for that kind of stuff and it just really it just really fucking annoys me <laughs> well i this is a very rare occasion on the soviet games podcast where i'm coming at this from completely the other angle dude i am on the opposite side of the fence on this one i I, I hear what you're saying, and I totally respect that, but I thought they did a great job of keeping it real because I thought his character made a lot of sense to me. And I don't know if it's because I can just kind of see myself a little bit in him or, like, some of those experiences were stuff that I thought hit pretty close for me, but I thought uh, Zendaya did a wonderful job. I thought she was I thought she was wonderful. I thought she was really, really good. I thought she really captured um, kind of, like, nerd girl coolness and... I know people who are very similar to how she is. And so I thought she did a great job of capturing that aspect of, of personality. So I, that, that really worked for me very much. And, you know, like looking back at my own youth, I can easily remember when I was coming up and like getting a girlfriend was the most important thing in the world to me. And granted, I didn't have Spider-Man's powers. Maybe that would have put a different spin on things for me. Um, but man, like I totally can remember those days when that was really all I cared about. And for many years, like really, that's all I cared about. Um, so that that really all rang true. I mean, I could easily understand him not wanting to to commit to these larger issues of being a hero, saving the world, of being responsible for the Stark legacy. Because man, when I was a you know when I was in those uh, that age and doing those things, I would I there's many times when I fuck something up where I like I should have done something important or I was supposed to be back by curfew or I was supposed to do something for somebody. And if my girlfriend was available at that time, I would totally not do the thing that I was supposed to do. And do the thing that I wanted to do with her. So, I mean, clearly I'm not, like, saving the world or being responsible for, like, civilian lives or anything. But, like, his whole aspect and how he handled that whole situation, like, all struck really true for me. So, uh, maybe that's just how I am personally or, or I don't know. But I, just, I, I felt like he really nailed it. And I felt like that, that was actually one of the things I liked the best about that movie was, like, the thing that you disliked the most about the movie was that... <laughs> was that it really was kind of just about him as a person. I mean, I kind of alluded to it in the last episode, but like not losing sight of who he is as a, as a kid, as a guy and just really staying true on like, Hey, I may be Spider-Man. I may be in possession of these glasses that do all these things, but I'm still just like a guy. Like I just feel insecure. I don't know how to talk to girls. I really want to talk to girls. I really like MJ. I don't know how to talk to her. I'm getting pissed at this other guy's putting the moves on her, but I don't know how to stop that. I don't know what to do. And like, I mean, all that was just like, I mean, I'm not going to say it was like a page out of my own life, but like a lot of it was very relatable. So I felt like they did a great job of, of grounding Spider-Man in reality in the, 
the messy, awful, awkward days of being a high school uh, guy. And I thought that was... They did great, I thought. I thought they did great. I loved it a lot. I really liked this movie a lot. I mean, all due respect, if you didn't like it, totally fine. I hear you, and I think you've got good reasons for not liking it. Uh, but for me, I thought this was a great film. I really enjoyed it greatly, greatly, greatly. I mean, greatly. I think the biggest problem here is the fact that I am like a cold-hearted robot of a human being, and you're actually like a warm, breathing human being who has thoughts and feelings and passion. And like, <laughs> so like, I clearly was lukewarm on this movie because I don't like people or relationships. But you're—I mean, I realize I'm in the minority here of like not liking it. But there's like so much stuff in the movie, like this idea of because like in real life, it annoys me whenever people like whenever I know someone who's very cool. And then they will, like, get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and then they will either disappear off the face of the earth because they become absorbed into the identity of their girlfriend and boyfriend, or they can't do anything without holding their girlfriend or boyfriend's hand. And that's, like, I just felt a lot of that, like, boringness of character in this movie where, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, like, I'm too old for it. Like, there's more to life than having a girlfriend or boyfriend. And I know they're 16, and I know I'm 30. I'm twice their age, but... It's just, like, stuff like that just, like, annoyed current me, and I can't, I just can't see past it because I'm a cold-hearted vampire of a human. <laughs> Can we talk well, about the post credit stuff, please? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Because I, okay, so I have seen, like, a million tweets that are, like, that are, like, oh, the post credits. I don't know what they're going to do with this. I don't know what they're going to, how are they going to do this? And the first thing that came to my mind was, all right, here's what's going to happen. The post credits thing is going to happen. And they're going to like make the Tom Holland Spider-Man like a Spider-Verse. And they're going to bring like Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield back. That's what I honestly thought was going to happen. I was like, all right, we're going to go all in. And that's what's going to happen here. But the fucking end credits reveal is that, um... Uh, uh, Nick Fury, Nick Fury, that's his name, right? Yeah. Um, he, he sort of like replaces Tony Stark in this movie as sort of like Spider-Man's handler. And the end reveal of this movie is that he was actually a shapeshifter, Ben Mendelsohn from, uh, Captain Marvel, that it was him shapeshifting as, um, as Nick Fury for the entire movie, or possibly since like the first Avengers movie, which I have read online, and that the whole time Nick Fury has actually been, like, in space with Captain Marvel. And, like, when that reveal happened, I was like, who gives a fuck? Like, I don't care about, like, this is not interesting. And, like, who cares if he was a shapeshifter? Because, like, the shapeshifters ended up being, like, the good guys in Captain Marvel. So it's not like there's some, like, nefarious plan here. I just didn't really understand it and i didn't really care unless there's like and i'm looking to you a little bit here maybe you can explain this to me and like kind of maybe put it into better perspective for me because that kind of really fell flat for me i don't think that was really the biggest reveal i thought that was just kind of a good wink and a nudge for future i thought the big part of the reveal was mysterio outing spider-man to like the entire world like showing his picture oh, and his name yeah yeah i don't care so that was either. the one where people were like oh my god like because you can't go back from that i mean it's like Everybody in the Marvel Universe now knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man, you know, and so that puts the next movie, if they do get to make one more movie, um, I guess, depending on the Sony rights, uh, in a really strange position, because then it's going to have to be about 
what does that mean? Does he does he continue being Spider-Man? Does his does he have to protect his family? Is Ant-Man in danger? Does he drop civilian life and does he go back to like I don't know becoming like the new Tony Stark as head of the corporation? I mean, like what does that even mean for like the entire world of Peter Parker? You know, so that that was what everybody was like, oh my god, like I can't believe they just did that because it totally just blows up like all of the traditional Spider-Man structure where you know, we've had like all these movies where Peter Parker maintains his identity and they always threaten it. Like the Green Goblin threatened it in the past. And other, other other bad guys threaten it, but like nothing ever really comes of it. You know, like he never really gets outed and he's able to go back to being Spider-Man at night and Peter Parker during the day. But I mean, like by posting this info all over the world and on top of like the, the New York big TV thing that's in Times Square and all over the place, like the whole world now knows. So it really puts them in a, it, they just can't go back from it, right? They got to do something bigger something different. They got to really change up the Spider-Man formula. Like I said, if they get to make another one. So that was what people were like, Oh my God, I can't believe oh, they did that because now yeah. we're going to get like a new kind of Spider-Man movie. We've never gotten before. Oh yeah. I guess I don't really care. <laughs> like big whoop. People know he's Peter. Part. Like I don't, I, I mean, and I, like I've said a million times on the show, I'm not that into like, I've seen most of the Spider-Man movies. I've not seen the Andrew Garfield ones, but like I've seen all the Tobey Maguire ones and I've seen the two Tom Holland ones. Um, and I'm, I just like don't, I don't care. I'm like, so what? So what? Like, if they know who he is, like, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's a good jumping off point for like maybe the next movie can be more character focused on like him trying to survive this rather because that's more interesting to me than like him trying to get a girlfriend or him fighting a fucking flame monster thing. Like, that's more interesting to me. So maybe that would be a good jumping off point for the next one. Uh, probably better than. Uh, than Far From Home for me. But at the same time, it reminds me of the end of the very first Iron Man where Tony Stark flat out says, like, I am Iron Man at the very end of the movie because that was, like, a good, like, breathtaking moment. Um, So, like, here we are. We have uh, Peter Parker kind of in forcefully placed into Iron Man's shoes in a weird way. Um, But I I don't know. I just kind of don't care. Like, he's Spider-Man. He can deal with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that they'll figure out a way. They must have something in mind. Otherwise, they wouldn't have ever done it. But... I think people were just like, wow, you know, this means a sea change for, for Peter Parker as a character. And like you said, to kind of take him in a new direction, he can't just keep, he can't just be having the same problems of like, oh, I missed my date because I was saving the world. And then I got to like button up my shirt because my Spider-Man thing's poking out. Like it's going to have to be something like, you know, like something like, like real witness protection program, Spider-Man. Like <laughs> Totally. Like it's got to be something different. Like, and I think that's a really good idea. I mean, I hope they keep making movies. I don't think... I think there's a rights issue coming up. They either have used up their last uh, ability to have Spider-Man in the MCU or they get one more, depending on how you interpret the contract. I know there's a lot of confusion about that right now, but it does seem like that MCU is going to have him at least one more time. So I'm looking, I I think people are looking towards the next Spider-Man, which could very likely be the last one for for rights purposes um, to be like a real big like blowout or or sea change for Spider-Man. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, I'm I'm game for that. But both of those reveals of the shape shifting and his identity being thrown out there, I was just like, okay, like I don't know. I maybe I guess I just don't get it as much as everybody else because everybody was like, oh my god, what are they gonna do? I can't believe this. And I'm like, okay, so people know who he is. Like I don't I don't care. Yeah, like, yeah. This isn't a big deal for me. <laughs> well, the other big thing was when um, J. Jonah Jameson showed up. That was that got huge applause in the theater that I was in because I know that people have been wanting him to come back and. People thought that that particular actor, I can't remember what his name is, but he's a real good actor. Um, do you know what that guy's name is? Do you know, by any chance? Um, oh, my God. It's like a... It's like a... It's like, like a letter or something, Yeah, it's right? like 
J.K. something or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. J.K. Um, Simmons, is that right? J.K. Simmons? Is that it? I think that might be it. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Anyway, when he came back, I know he hasn't been in the recent films, but people were like over the moon that he came back because people really like him as uh, J. Jonah Jameson, which I thought... I mean, he's, he's born to play he's that perfect, fucking role. Yeah. Yeah, he's perfect, yeah. I, I enjoyed it, that very much, yeah. Yeah, so that was good. But. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Well, I'm glad we compared notes. I don't have anything else on Spider-Man. You got anything else there? I think I am Spider-Man to death at this point. All right, cool. We should probably uh, wrap this up and get talking about some games. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. All right.